www.worldwidesportsradio.com We have great shows all over the country. So check us out. You could call us, as always, and uh, our number, Speedy? 631-672-3108. Oh, man. What a day. Raining, disgusting, cold here on Long Island. It's just absolutely horrendous. But uh, happy to be here. Uh, we're very excited uh, we have a couple of great guests joining us a little bit later in the show. But, Speedy, how was your weekend? It was all right. It was uh, a tough one for my New York Giants, but I actually had a fun experience with you and uh, the Beeve and some of his family at uh, Miller's Ale House watching this game, especially his uncle, who was a Giants fan. Fun to chat some Giants with. Uh, he was annoyed that I didn't pick them, analytically speaking, to win the game. But uh, yeah. that proved out to be right, unfortunately, as they ended up falling 38-7. to But can't be mad at the expectations, considering I did not expect them to be a playoff team at the start of the year. I only had them as a six-win team. And they won a playoff game, exceeded my expectations, so I can't be disappointed. Well, I, I know we, we have a lot to speak about uh, during the show about the Giants in a little bit. In, in just a few minutes, we'll get into the New York Giants. Uh, so before we do that, uh, at 7.30, we'll be talking to former Jaguars, Bills kicker and president of Proform Kicking Academy, Mike Hollis. He'll be joining us. And at 8 o'clock, we will be talking to former Patriots, Jets, and Eagles wide receiver, Rob Carpenter. So Rob, who's been dealing with a lot of family stuff, and uh, he has a store that he uh, he's built over there in his hometown, and he's from Amityville, Long Island. So uh, looking forward to getting Rob on the show. Uh, you could call us at 631-672-3109. So check us out on our number if you want to hit us up. Um, we're going to get into, obviously, the New York Giants uh, falling 38-7 to to the Eagles. And what is next for Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley? Uh, rumors say that Aaron Rodgers will only be traded to an AFC team. Could it be the Jets? And I will give you reasons why it would be great. And I can give you reasons why it might not be. Cowboys lose to the 49ers. 19-12. Uh, to Fans take shots at Dak Prescott. Not surprised, as always. Uh, the Bengals blow out the Bills 27-10. Eli Apple takes shots at Stefan Diggs on Twitter. And Stefan Diggs and uh, our friend Josh Allen are not getting along on the sidelines. Uh, a lot of stories coming out over there uh, from Buffalo. So uh, that'll be interesting in the offseason. Chiefs beat the Jags 27-20. Patrick Mahomes has a high ankle sprain. So uh, Mr. Mahomes is not 100% healthy. 
going into the AFC title game. Uh, what does that say uh, against the Bengals? So we will get into that. Scott Rowland joins Fred McGriff as the only two players to make it to the Baseball Hall of Fame this year. And LeBron James believes that Bronny can go to any college he wants. Of course, LeBron James says that. Of course. <laughs> so why don't we get into it? The New York Giants. And, and there's so much to get into this as far as I'm concerned with the Giants and the Eagles game. And, and, and you go up and down the rosters of both teams. And the Eagles are just so much superior to the Giants in every kind of way. Offense, defense, special teams. The talent is, there's no broad end to both teams. You could see who's strong and who's not. But going into this game, the Giants and a lot of people thought were going to be competitive. They thought they were going to be in this game all the way through to fourth, all the way through to the fourth quarter. And when you go in and you see watching the game and watching, obviously, the, the command that Jalen Hurts had under center offensively, and really what he did in the game, using his legs, using his ability, and he didn't show any injury whatsoever in his shoulder, none in his throwing arm. And if, if Jalen Hurts plays like this, the Eagles are really unstoppable. And we'll get into the 49ers too because they're matching up this coming week on Sunday, and a lot of people think that the 49ers have a chance. I, I, I still am not... Uh, I'm not, I'm not settled in with uh, Brock Purdy. I, I'm not. He didn't have such a good game against the Cowboys defense. When you look at the, the understanding of how this game went, first of all, the Giants have not won in Philadelphia since 2013. And, and that's, that's a crazy amount of time a team who plays in the same division as another team has not come up with a win in that other team's home area. First ever playoff loss in as a number one seed in Giants franchise history. So in Giants franchise history, the Giants, the Giants were 6-0 going into this game. 6-0. And they got knocked off by a team as a number one seed that they've never been knocked off by. 268 rushing yards by the Eagles, the most ever against the Giants, a, a team in the postseason, breaking a record of 246 set by the 1935 Lions. Jalen Hurts had a 112.2 passing rating, fourth in Eagles playoff history, and of course, uh, and of course, uh, running back Boston Scott has 11 career touchdowns against the Giants. Only three Hall of Famers, Jim Brown, which 12, Leroy Kelly, 14, and Emmett Smith, 21, had more. You look at all these statistics, and you look at all these numbers, and you go up and down each and everything that happened in this game, and, and really from the first quarter on, it was complete domination. Complete domination by the, the Philadelphia Eagles. Defensively, the Giants couldn't run against them. And, and yes, Daniel Jones made a lot of mistakes. And a lot of people say Jan Daniel Jones didn't show up in the big game. He just didn't show up in the big game. I beg to differ. His numbers show that he didn't show up in the game. But his offensive line didn't protect him. And Saquon Barkley 
couldn't get hot. You saw in, in the first game, in the wild card game, how did the offense pick up? How did it open up the field? How did it open up for, for guys like uh, some of the wide receivers that they have? It opened up because of the running game. And all the different weapons that the Giants had in the wildcard game couldn't open up. And, and it has a lot to do with some of the defensive players that the Eagles have. Johnson. And, and, and the different players that they can that they can defend against on the Giants. Now, I, I know a lot of people looking at this game, and they're, they're going to go up and down each and every roster of, of the game and, and attack the Giants just because the rosters were weak. I look at the Giants as a whole. And in going into this game, I thought they had the better coach. Dable has shown this year to be a great coach under pressure. Wink Martindale has shown that it didn't matter how good the offense was or how strong the offense was, he found a way to stop the offense and stop the bleeding early in the game. But in this particular game, the Giants couldn't stop the bleeding. There were too many weapons, too much talent. A.J. Brown, Smith, Sanders, Boston Scott, all these guys were dominating at the line of scrimmage. And, and again, the offensive line, Johnson wasn't 100% healthy. Obviously, had a high ankle sprain. He hasn't been healthy going into the second half of the season. He was limping off the field every time he stepped on the field. But this has been one of the best offensive lines, if not the best offensive line in football. You look at Philadelphia, yes. They are far out the superior team. But we have seen this before. We've seen the Giants knock off superior teams. If you remember, in 2007, Mm -hmm. in the Super Bowl, the undefeated New England Patriots, nobody thought that the Giants had a chance in that game. Plaxico Borez did. Eli Manning did. Michael Strahan did. OCU Minor did. And that's... That's the difference. And I, I did, to me, the Giants didn't have a chance. And you sit back and you try to look at everything, all the aspects and, and the statistics of this game. There was none. Because the Giants just didn't show up, in this, really didn't show up to this game. Now, going into the offseason, the Giants have a lot of decisions to make. They do. Saquon Barkley, uh, as we heard uh Joe Shane speak at the press conference, the final press conference, and obviously Dable, Brian Dable spoke about Daniel Jones and uh, interesting things that they said. Uh, The plan is uh, that he'll be involved with the 2023 season. They're going to franchise, probably tag him, $31.5 million. The deadline is March 7th, so I believe they will. Contract projections for Daniel Jones is three years, $75 million. For, for a quarterback that played the way he did this year, it's absolutely worth it to give him a three-year extension, $75 million. An average quarterback at Marcus value right now is, 32, is making $32 million a year. Greg Jennings says Daniel Jones is a top 10 quarterback in the NFL right now. And a lot of people would think that. Three, over 3,000 yards, 
600 yards running. Jalen Hurts, the quarterback that he played in this divisional game, is him and Josh Allen the only two quarterbacks that had those numbers throughout the season. Not Patrick Mahomes, not Justin Herbert or Tua or any of these quarterbacks that have good legs and and, and can run and, and throw on the run. None of those guys. It's only three quarterbacks. Sports News projects that he will make between 25 and $30 million per year. And listening to Saquon Barkley, and Saquon Barkley has an understanding of who he is as a player. He really does. His talent is above, above the league talent at his position. Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara, Ezekiel Elliott, Delvin Cook, Derrick Henry, Nick Chubb, Aaron Jones, Joe Mixon. How many running backs this year were better than Saquon Barkley? Those are probably the six or seven best running backs besides Saquon Barkley in the league. And a lot of those guys had down years this year, too. Kamara especially, and even Derrick Henry with the injuries since he's gotten that contract. Not the same. Saquon wants to make Christian McCaffrey money. Christian McCaffrey makes an average, he signed a $64 million contract, $16 million a year, $36 million guaranteed, $30 million fully guaranteed. Is that so much to ask? And I, I, I listen to Joe Shane at the press conference, and he doesn't look like he's interested in giving Saquon Barkley a long-term deal because he believes he can find a running back in the draft in the second or third round for cheaper. Now, it quite possibly could happen that they let Saquon Barkley go. I've heard Miami's interested in him. Mm-hmm. I've also heard that if the L.A. Chargers decide to part ways uh, with certain players in the offseason, they might think about bringing him in as their second back. Wow. So you you look at the picture right now for the New York Giants. Going into next season, they have... I would say about $67, $68 million right now that they can spend that is going to be on the cap that they're going to be able to move with. Now, they can't trade away Kenny Galladay. Nobody wants him. Now, are they willing to trade a draft pick, a second or third round pick, to get rid of that contract? That's $17 or $16 million they could take off the cap. If that happens, the Giants will be positioned to spend close to $80 million. Then they can re-sign Saquon. Then they can give Daniel Jones his money. They'll have enough money to bring in a wide receiver either in trade, free agency, or the draft. They're going to maybe add two because they need they weapons. Definitely do both, maybe, if you can. And they need to add some offensive line help. It's, to me, the Giants are put in a bad position. And the Eagles are put in such a great position because next year, going into the offseason, the Eagles have two first-round draft picks. They have a tremendous amount of young talent on the team. They have the quarterback of the future in Jalen Hurts. They have a chance to win a Super Bowl this year, and it doesn't matter, win or lose, they go into the offseason with a bunch of riches. They're positioned so very well. And by the way, I think they're, they're, they're under the cap by like 45 or $40 million. So honestly, they have money to spend in free agency too if they want to add a piece here and a piece there. The, Giant, the Giants 
We'll be better next year. The Eagles could be astronomically better next year with the young talent and the youth that they have control of. They have a quarterback that's what? Three years in, they still have two. Yep. They still have another year with him before they have to sign him or give him an extension. And they and they have these draft picks. They have a top ten pick, which they got from um, New Orleans. New Orleans in the trade. And they have a late. They have a late twenties pick because it's their own. Right. I think right now would be. 27-28. It'd be 29 if they lose in the NFC Championship game. If they if they go to the Super Bowl, it'll either be 31 technically or, or 30, depending on if they win or lose, because the Dolphins had to forfeit their pick this year. If you sit back and you wonder and you try to argue the points of what the Giants did in the game, there there's really nothing you can argue about right now. The only thing that you see and what you saw on national TV at 8 o'clock at night on Saturday night was a Giant team that was just absolutely outplayed by the Philadelphia Eagles. Mm-hmm. Absolutely outplayed. Especially in the trenches. It was really bad. And they were outcoached. And Dable made a mistake in the first quarter, if you remember, yeah. when he decided to go four, uh, fourth, it was a fourth, on, fourth and third. Uh, it was fourth down. Fourth down and eight. I'm sorry, fourth down and eight. On the, I think, on their 50-yard line. It was in the middle. It was on the 50-yard line. And he made a mistake. He thought he could go fourth and eight. And, and it really cost him. It cost him a touchdown. And it put them down 14 nothing. And we could go back and forth on what the Giants didn't do right and what the Giants did do right. The only thing that I could say, and I know Giant fans are going to sit here, they were happy that they, they were even in that position to possibly win and get to the NFC title game. When you're in that position, there's not going to be Every, it's not going to happen every single year. It's not going to happen every single time that they're going to get into the divisional game and they're going to play the Eagles or they're going to play the Cowboys or they're going to play the 49ers or any of these powerhouse NFC teams. When you have a chance to be there, you make sure you show up to the game. And they didn't show up to the game. Daniel Jones tripped on his own offensive lineman's leg. He made a lot of mistakes. Do I blame Daniel Jones on a loss? No. It was not Daniel Jones' fault on the reason why they lost. There are so many arguments to what happened in that game as a Giant fan. And, and Speedy, you're a Giant fan. And I know when we were sitting and we were watching the game, you, you, you put your hand over your head about a couple of times. You were, you were wondering what, what kind of what, – why did they de- – and Wink Martindale, who to me is one of the best defensive coordinators in the NFL. He really is. As far as the blitz is concerned – Concern. He reminds me the closest to Rex Ryan. The way he likes to blitz and he likes to use his safeties, his corners. He brings them up. He does so many things rapidly at the line of scrimmage. He didn't do it in this game. And it, and by the way, what did I tell you about the wide receiving play? Slayton was nowhere to be found in the game. Yeah. None of their wide receivers were in the game. I, and how many times we had what's his name? Uh, we had um, Ryan Honey, Ryan Honey week, on the yeah. show, Ronnie, Ryan Honey on the show last week. And Ryan Honey was telling me this guy is going to play a big part in this game, and that guy is going to play a big part in that game. None of those guys, none of those guys. Mm-hmm. Richie James led the Giants in receiving with fifty-one yards, and he's a gadget player, and he's a punt returner. Yep. So. We look at the, the aspects of the game, and, and we can go back and forth on, on what Joe, Sh- Joe Shane said after 
you know, after the Giants lost and at the press conferences on Monday and talking to the, talking to the press, all I could say about the New York Giants right now is that they have a big offseason. They have an offseason where they're going to have to make huge decisions. And it, Daniel Jones is coming back. You heard him. They're going to franchise him. They're going to give him $30.5 million, and they'll probably re-sign him to a three-year $75 million, $80 million extension, guaranteeing him probably $60 million. That's what I think they're going to give Daniel Jones. Saquon Barkley is probably not coming back. So their number one gadget player, their number one offensive option is going to be gone. So where do they go into the offseason? Are they going to bring in a Jacobs? But if they're not going to pay their own guy, why would they pay Jacobs? Right. They're going to go into the draft. They're not going to draft a, a running back in the first round like they did with Saquon. No. So you're going to go into the second or third round where you're going to be looking for a running back that might not be the guy moving forward. And I, I, and I have a feeling they're going to bring – they're going to bring a veteran running back in. They're probably going to. Just like, obviously, uh, the Miami Dolphins. The Dolphins do this every single year. Yep. They draft a running back, and they bring in a veteran. They do it all the time. Yep. And then they'll let the running back go after one good year, and yep. then they'll, they'll trade him. Kenyon Drake did that with J.H.I. They did that with They recently. do it all the time. Yeah, they do it all the time. They do it all the time. And the Giants, I don't know how Joe Shane wants to run this team, yeah. because this is really his first full offseason where you're going to see what he is going to do, how he's going to mix up free agency, how is he going to mix up some of the free, you know, the draft picks that he is going to bring to this team. He had his first draft last year, but the same thing with Joe Douglas. Joe Douglas didn't have his first full season after the Mackay Beckton the draft. Mackay Beckton's draft was at when he was he was signed in the middle of the season when the Jets brought him in with Adam Gase in the middle of the season. Right. Then his first draft was with Adam Gase, with Mackay Becton. Obviously, the, the players, that was the guy that they drafted, his first draft pick. And then the second year was his first full year, and that was when Adam Gase was gone. And that was the first full year, kind of, too, that Douglas had control with the money, too. Yes. Whereas Adam Gase, or not Adam Gase, whereas Mike McCagnan left the Jets very cash-strapped, so Joe Douglas was very limited that first year with free agency. Same kind of thing with Shane this year. A lot of the bad contracts that Gettleman had uh, in his free agency tenure, they were able to get rid of most of them, which was good, but still left with the Kenny Galladay one, still stuck with the Leonard Williams one. Hopefully he can play through that because that's going to be hard to trade as well. So, yeah, this is his first full year where now the $57 million, what will he do in free agency? I think when you look at the big picture and, and where the Giants are going into the offseason, there's a lot of what-ifs and, and a lot of arguments that the Giants fan, Giant fans are making right now on social media. Some Giant fans don't want Daniel Jones. Some fans just want Saquon Barkley. We can, we can draft a quarterback next year. We'll bring in a veteran quarterback. Let Daniel Jones go. Peter King said some interesting things in some of the stories that he wrote after the Giants got knocked out on Saturday. And some of the things that really stand out, what Peter King is saying, is that the Giants' decision really is they're going to definitely bring Daniel Jones back, but they're unsure with Saquon Barkley. And it seems like the priority is to bring back Dexter Lawrence over Saquon Barkley as well. Well, Dexter Lawrence is their leader, their right. defensive 
prowess guy down the middle, defensive tackle. You, 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 you can't find those guys. You right. can, they don't grow on trees. Running backs you could find in the third and fourth round. Mm-hmm. Defensive tackles are a huge position when it comes to analytically speaking, too. That's why a lot of them have been drafted earlier, too, than we've ever seen before. And look at the Jets with Quinton Williams, same kind of example. He went third overall. Years ago, you wouldn't even think of that. He had the Ndamukong Sue Gerald McCoy draft that was like that, but that, that was a rarity at that time. Now, because of the way that quarterbacks can move, sometimes the interior rush getting them quickly really throws them off their game just as much, if not more, than a lot of those edge rushers. So it seems like Daniel Jones will be the first priority, then Dexter Lawrence, to be able to give. And if they don't franchise tag Daniel Jones, then maybe Saquon gets the franchise tag later on, which will be at $12 million. But if they do franchise him, obviously you can't franchise tag two players. So that would be the next thing they would have to deal with if they let him go. And what throws me off about the Eagles game more than anything was that they knew that Jalen Hurts wasn't 100%. And even though he looked like he was 100%, he wasn't 100%. His shoulder, he's been injured really the last five games of the season. He, he didn't play any games until the final game. Of the season. He needed to play in that game because they needed to win because they needed to have home field advantage. And it definitely, they definitely needed it because look, they're playing San Francisco in the NFC title game. If they were going to have to fly all the way to uh, out west to play in San Francisco, to me, there would be no chance of the Eagles winning that game. The Eagles are a better home team than they are away team. Now, it doesn't show, it doesn't show this year, but again, because they, they are really equaled out with their record. But to me, what I saw this year from, from the Eagles was something that we haven't seen from the Eagles team, even when they won the Super Bowl, when they beat the, the New England Patriots in the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. What I see is just complete dominance by the Eagles this year. They dominated in almost every single game Jalen Hurts played in. And I, remembered in, I remember in the beginning of the season mm. – when all the Eagle fans wanted to get rid of Jalen Hurts, that they have two first-round draft picks, they can move up and get Bryce Young, they can move up and get C.J. Stroud, they can move up and get whoever they want. Mm-hmm. Including our friend Brian Drake the first time we had him on the show, too. He was very down on Jalen Hurts. Absolutely. And, and you look at what Jalen Hurts did this year. Not only does the guy squat 600 pounds, probably the strongest quarterback in the NFL. And, and I'm not just saying that. How many quarterbacks do you know that could squat 600 pounds? Yeah. Okay? That's one. Number two, this man is a dog. Okay? This guy will go out there and give it his all. He will get on the field. He will do everything the coach wants him to do. He will run every single play, and he'll run it 100%. He won't sit back. You won't see him tailback. And we've seen quarterbacks do this. <laughs> I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a Jet fan. How many times? How many quarterbacks did we see this year? Joe Flacco, okay? Every time Joe Flacco came into the game for Zach Wilson or Mike White, the guy looked old. He looked like he shouldn't be on the field. Then you look at Mike White. Mike White, he was strong. He looked like he wanted to play. He looked like he could get on the field and do the things that he could do. And then he'll, he'll, he'll go against a team that's just flat out just better than he is defensively and completely laid up a lousy goose egg. And then Zach Wilson. We all know what Zach Wilson did this year. Okay? We all know what he did. And I bring up the Jets because it's so funny. I am, an, I am a Jet fan, but I root on the Eagles. Mm-hmm. And, and everybody says, why do you root on the Eagles? Because the whole story with Donovan McNabb. I'm a huge Donovan McNabb fan. And I watch the Eagles. I've watched the Eagles all season long. And they've had so many injuries. Defensively, 
and even offensively. And they have not only a great bench, they understand how to maneuver players and bring players in when they're strong and when they're weak. And, and that's the difference. I, I think that's the difference between the Eagles going into this game against San Francisco. And we will get into that tomorrow. I think the Eagles are just flat out all around better than the San Francisco 49ers offensively and defensively. Now, obviously, the defense of the San Francisco 49ers is ranked number one in the league. So how could you say that the Eagles are better? The Eagles weren't healthy all year. Jordan Davis was not healthy all year. That's secondary. They lost Johnson. In the second half of the season. He didn't come back until the final game of the season. Actually, he just came back in the playoff game. Right. They weren't 100% healthy. So now, now at full strength, it, it, do I think the Eagles can out defensively uh, on the defensive side of the ball, the San Francisco 49ers? I don't trust Brock Purdy. So, yeah, I, I, I absolutely believe that the Philadelphia Eagles are going to be favored in this game. But I'm not even talking about that right now. But before before we go to our first guest, I will say this. If you're a Giant fan, and this is a question, we're going to post this up on Twitter tonight after the show. If If you're a Giant fan out there right now, and you had a choice between Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley, and you had a choice to give one or the other the contract, who would you give the contract to to one? And how much would you give the contract to that player when it comes down to it? When we come back, we'll be talking to former Jaguars, Bills, kicker and president of ProForm Kicking Academy, Mike Hollis, here on the Sports Loudmouths. You're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Sports Loudmouths. 631-672-3108 is the number you can call, ladies and gentlemen. You are listening to the Sports Loudmouths. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Wednesday and Thursday. As everybody knows, Wednesday at 7 p.m. and Thursdays. At 9 p.m. Check out our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the country, including our show and all the different shows that we have from Cincinnati, Florida, California, all over the country. So definitely check out all the shows. They're live. They're not podcasts. But if you miss them, you can check us out on Apple Podcasts and listen to all the replays of the show. Ah, man, we haven't had this guy on for a little while, but we have him on again. We are now talking to former Jaguars and Bills kicker and president of ProForm Kicking Academy, Mr. Mike Hollis. Mike, what's up, man? What's going on? You're looking good, man. You look healthy. Uh, uh, You looked healthy last time. I'm not going to take shots at you. (laughs) Was I fat last time or what? No, you look good, (laughs) man. You look really, really good. How are you feeling, man? How, how's your family doing from COVID and every, everything since the last time we spoke? Man, I'm in Florida. Everybody's cool around here. You know, we didn't have all that lockdown crap. You know, everyone just enjoyed life. We dealt with it. You know, 
Now, obviously, uh, you're, you're, you've been really working with uh, your Kicking Academy. How's that going? Obviously, uh, over the last couple of years, you've been pushing uh, and, and, and added so many different uh, objectives of where kicking is going in the NFL and where it's going in college and high school football. How's your uh, academy doing s- since the last time we spoke? You know, it's, it's, it's good. Um, you know, we get guys that come in and, and um, you know, the, the frustrating thing, thing for me as a coach is to, you know, have guys come in from, you know, different parts of the country who may work with other coaches. Um, and even more frustrating is there's, there's guys that come in that work work with other coaches that I've actually worked with before, as, you know, as, as, a, as a coach for them as well. And, you know, the things that they're telling me that these coaches are telling them to do are, are, are not good stuff. And, again, it's uh, – that there's, there's kind of that common – you know, thread of, you know, you think of, of golfers around the, you know, golf has been around a million years and, you know, they, they've kind of, uh, these professional golfers have, have found the, the best way of hitting a golf ball. Most of the, uh, the pros, they, they have a, a certain foundation that they kind of follow and, you know, with kicking, it's, it's different. There's, there's still, to this day, there's still a lot of kickers that do different stuff. And, it, and you, you, you bring up uh, Brett Maher mm-hmm. and, you know, you look at the, the, the way he kicks and there's a lot of room for error the way he kicks. And, you know, my biggest example is of, of all four kicks in the game previously that he missed, you know, in a row before he made his fifth, he, well, he's, he's doing the same thing every single time. He's just, you know, happened to make that, that, that fifth one go through, but he's swinging hard to the left and the balls, three of the four went to the right. Like, how is that working out for you guys? You know, you guys continue. And I say you guys in general, because that's a lot of kickers out there keep doing the same things over and over and over again as they, they swing really, really aggressively laterally, and, and it makes sense. I get it. You know, you're as a right-footed kicker, you're off to the left of the ball, and and as you stand there waiting for the ball to be snapped and you know, very ready to kick it, the the target is left of you. So naturally, you you feel like you have to do something left, and everyone wants to swing left. And I tell my guys, listen, you have you have three different options when you swing left. You have you can miss it right. Clearly, we saw that you can make it, or you can obviously miss it left. Um, the things that I do, if you eliminate that lateral swing and you do a couple other, you know, technical things, you're never going to miss left again in your life. You'll probably, you know, either make it, you know, straight down the middle. Obviously there's, there's things you have to do to do that. But if you're going to, if you're going to miss it, you might miss it a little bit. Right. But again, as a right footed kicker, if I'm missing it to the right, I, I can adjust. I can, I can learn from that. I can make some adjustments and make the next kick when I'm swinging left and the ball's going right. Like what am I supposed to do to fix the next kick? Like, you know, the, the, basically the, the foot's open. And again, I'm, I'm ranting and raving about this because it's, it's very frustrating to, to see that, that these kickers are still doing the same things. And, you know, only the best ones that can do these lateral swings are the ones playing in the NFL. And you think about it, why isn't there a thousand kickers out there right now that are just as good as the NFL guys right now, just waiting in line to, to get into a team and, and play. There's not. And any team, you know, the times when the, when these teams are looking for other kickers to replace the guys they have on the, on their, on their team that apparently are not doing very good. The kickers they bring in sometimes aren't that great either, and they have to fire them and find somebody else. They, they go through this carousel of, of kickers until they find someone who's actually reliable. And it's all about technique, man. And the ways I, I teach and the things that I teach are good because they, they help with the mental side of it too because what I do is I transition a guy into thinking about steering the football through an upright or trying to aim really, really aggressively. And just, you know, your aiming should be in your lineup. And then the mechanics that you do between the beginning of your approach and the kick of the ball itself and obviously the follow-through – all of that stuff there, all the mechanics, that's what makes the ball go through the uprights. That whole concept of aim small, miss small, I can't stand it because guys put you know too much pressure on themselves and they're, they're trying really hard 
to steer a football. And that's the worst thing you can do, especially if you're just trying to, you know, athletically do it. Your athleticism will only last so long. So it's very frustrating. But but my guys are good. You know, I got uh, Purdue uh, just uh, finished uh, – uh, um, Mitchell Finneran just finished up at Purdue as the most accurate kicker in Purdue history um, in just the two years he was there. And he, you know, broke a couple other records as well. So he's done real well. And he's, uh, you know, hopefully trying to take it on to the next level. So reference to Maher, going back to that, I saw a tweet from Phil Dawson that was saying that uh, that – the kicking end of it is still more technique based and not mentally too. Cause we, we discussed like what's the most individually mentally grueling position in terms of pressure. So do you think that more, do you think it's more still more that oriented rather than the mental side of it where we've seen kickers definitely crumble at certain points? Well, the, the guys who crumble and, and, and again, the Brett Mars uh, of the world, and, and I feel bad. I mean, I, I'm not making fun of him. I'm not trying to, you know, he's very good. He's very good at what he did and he's done. Um, I, I think just mentally, when you when you don't have great technique and you're doing things that I think have a lot of room for error, you know what what is your basic foundation? What what is well, after his first miss in that game a couple weeks ago? What did he think? What was going through his mind mentally? I don't know. Um, in my mind mentally, I'd be like, okay, well, I probably opened up my foot, or maybe I just you know, okay, I shouldn't do that on the next one. Well, guess what? The next one he did the same thing. It's almost identical. The three in a row. Well. The three, yeah, actually the, the, the two the two that he missed it originally went to the right, then he missed one to the left, then he missed one to the right again. So again, there's a lot of, and then the one in the game recently, um, that first extra point attempt or field goal attempt, I can't remember what it was, but that was an ugly kick. And I'm like, man, how do you you have to go back to the basics and just learn, you know, to to trust the basics. When you don't trust what you're doing is when you get yourself in a hole and you have no idea how to get out of it. We are talking to former Jaguars, Bills, kicker, and president of ProForm Kicking Academy, Mike Hollis. You know, Mike, we've watched the game for years, and you played in the game for so many years, and, and you watch some of the growth of some of these kickers in the league, and a lot of them stand out, Adam Vinatieri being one of the greatest kickers of all time. And then you, and you talk about guys like Brett Maher. When you look at the game as a complete you know, transition of what we saw in the game that you played and now the game, are the kickers better now can kick longer now than they did in the time that you played? Absolutely. I, I think that, uh, you know, the physical training for all athletes in general has gotten up, gotten, has grown. You know, there's a lot more attention, you know, now with businesses who are providing speed and agility sort of training, things like that. And speed and agility for kickers, I think, is wonderful. Now, weight room, nah, not so much, but speed and agility, yes, because that's what you do when you kick a football. It's very, very quick, fast twitch sort of muscle fibers that are activating at, at one point, you know, two seconds or 1.3 seconds, whatever. Um, but my point is that, when when you you get into that situation where you're you're kicking well and and these guys these guys are kicking really well and, and here's one of the big biggest differences that people don't realize is that now they have snappers that are incredibly good. Um, when I played the first eight years seven years of my career, um, we didn't have a specific snapper. It was just whoever could snap on the team. You know now every single team has a snapper. Right. And these guys are not just snapping pretty good. They're snapping lights out, even to the point where they're getting the laces forward. And these holders don't have to do much. Um, Brian Barker was my holder for seven of my year, uh, six of my, of my seven years here in Jacksonville. And I got to tell you, he saved, you know, a lot of snaps. We had Dave Whitehall as our snapper for, for many years and he wasn't the greatest. If he was sitting here right with us right now, he'd admit it too. Like, yeah, I was, that was all right. I wasn't real great. But, but my, my point is that it might, you know, my holder was able to put the ball down and I had, I had developed a good trust in him. But these guys these days, plus the other thing I'll add on to that is the field conditions. 
Um, you know, obviously progressively over time, they've gotten a lot better. Now they're doing a lot of field turf and, and even the, the regular, you know, grass fields are, are pretty good. Um, not to say that there, there could be holes and divots, clearly you can, but there's, there's a lot better field surfaces out there these days and a lot better snappers and holders, which holders don't really have to do a whole lot other than catch the ball and put it down. They don't even have to move the laces. But um, I remember uh, even Evan McPherson had a couple kicks that weren't that great. And, they're, oh, the snap was bad and the hole. Well, it, not really. <laughs> they weren't that bad compared to what I had to deal with. But that's the thing. It surprised him. Like, oh, that snap was bad. And in the middle of a kick, he kind of, you know, maybe panicked a little bit. But I was used to surprises. You know, all these snaps were all over the place. I didn't know what I was going to get half the time. So I just trusted Brian as my holder. And he told me that. One of the first things he said is, look, listen. I'm going to get the ball down for you. You finish the kick. You do your job. I'll do mine. And, and, and I promise you, I'll get it down for you. And you'll know if I won't. I'll, I'll call it, you know, fire early or whatever the case may be if you, if you can't get it down. And there's been many cases in, in games that I played back in the day that I probably should not have kicked the ball when I did. Um, and I've made nine out of ten of those or you know, 90% of those. So we were talking about the Jaguars. They had, outside of my New York Giants, my second favorite playoff win of the year so far. They came back down 27 nothing against the Chargers. So what was it like seeing that game and also the, the, the mindset in the, ta- in the city of Jacksonville for this up-and-coming Jaguars team that won, made the playoffs this year and won a playoff game? You know, I, I think that obviously there's a lot of hype here in Jacksonville. And, you know, it was a, it was a bummer we lost last weekend. But our, our fans are definitely supportive um, of the team. Uh, Doug Peterson has done a fabulous job. Um, I think the players are rallying around him. I think that's a, it's one of the, the key factors. And, you know, the, the past, past coaches we've had, I'm sure we're great guys personally. But um, Doug just has something about him that, that is just, uh, you know, he, he's good for winning. And uh, he's, he knows how what it takes. He's, he's got a Super Bowl ring on his, on his hand. So, you know, I, I think that uh, the, the, the city here is, is kind of um, remembering uh, the days back when I was playing and, and all those, those playoff runs, I should say, both many of them, but the two AFC championship games that we were in, uh, 96 and 99, you know, those, those teams when we were back in the late 90s and uh, we were good. 2000 was even pretty good. And, and so I, I think we're getting back to that level of play and, and, and we're getting some, some playmakers. And that's what we've been missing for a very long time is guys, you know, receivers specifically, we catch the ball. Now we got guys who are catching the ball and, and it's very, very frustrating as a, as a fan. Now, obviously I'm a fan, but um, to see, you know, plays that should have no problems, you know, running and the receiver just drops the ball. And, and we don't we didn't have those kind of guys since, you know, Jimmy and Keenan back in the day. But nowadays we, we do. We have guys that catch the ball, guys that run the ball and quarterback clearly can can make some plays. And he's got some legs on him, too, man. That guy can can run. And I, I, I think they should use him more. But, you know, obviously you want to keep him safe from you know injury, of course. But they're doing great. You played with a great quarterback and. A quarterback that obviously took you all the way through the playoffs, almost got you into a Super Bowl. You look at Trevor Lawrence, and, and you see what Trevor Lawrence is doing this year. You were just mentioning he has great legs. He has a great arm. Yeah, he, he really took a, it took a step forward from what he did last year, maybe because it was Urban Meyer coaching him, and, and now you have actually a competent coach. And Doug Peterson actually knows what he's doing offensively with quarterbacks. We know what Doug Peterson, he worked with Patrick Mahomes. He's worked with different quarterbacks over the last couple of years and helped them grow. When you look at Trevor Lawrence, do you think that this kid could become an elite quarterback, a top five quarterback in the NFL? Absolutely. I mean, just look at his physical stature. Everything about him physically is is that, you know, um, he's he's going through a learning curve. Obviously, you know, the NFL is much faster than than college, even Clemson and 
you know, obviously they're very, they, he played on some very, very good teams, with a lot of talented guys and played against a lot of talented guys, but the NFL is just that much better. Different plays, different uh, schemes, different strategies, things like that. And uh, it makes decision-making a little bit more uh, difficult for, for guys who haven't had the experience. He's got two years of experience now. And, and, and last year, of course, this last season, this recent season, you could tell how, how much he's improved, you know, mentally and, you know, there was games, you know, first halves, for some reason, the Jaguars haven't really played well, but they make some great adjustments, and, and Trevor does as well. But, again, that's just part of learning. It's learning the game. It's learning, you know, how fast these guys and how, you know, how impressive the defenses are that they're playing against. And, you know, he's just got to, you know, have a little bit more experience under his belt and just know what to do in, in certain situations. And I'm telling you, you know, as a player, obviously I'm a kicker. I don't, you know, didn't have that many times when I had to make a split second decision. But for the most part, these guys have to make decisions very, very quickly. And, you know, at, at first when they're making these decisions and, and throwing the ball poorly and maybe throwing picks here and there, you know, when they go back and learn from those and they understand why, you know, the ball was intercepted, they they, they will learn and, 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 you know, hopefully not do that, you know, that same sort of mistake again. But it's all about getting some experience and, you know, being on a team like the Jaguars and, and having an offense like we do and a defense, clearly, um, good things will happen with quarterback like that for sure. So we've seen the greatness, the last, especially the last couple of years, but throughout his whole career of Justin Tucker and now a lot of people believing that he could be the greatest kicker of all time, even against your Jaguars, even though he missed the kick like he was just short from 69 yards, they tried to win the game. So where do you stand on that? Do you think he could be the greatest kicker of all time if he isn't already? Uh, yeah, definitely. You know, him and, you know, Adam Vinatieri are up there at the top of the list. Adam, of course, he's, he's, he's the goat. Uh, until, until, uh, Tucker retires, we, we won't ever know how, how, how good he will be, uh, how good he is or, or eventually will be, of course. But yeah, definitely. He's, he's, de he's definitely an incredible kicker. Um, mechanically, uh, I, I couldn't do what he does when he kicks the ball the way he kicks it, but I like his mentality, man. He's talking about that, that the, the kicking process just comes, you know, at that point, he's just a mechanical kicker. He, he, he kind of understands the same kind of stuff I do clearly. And I, I love that fact that he just relies on his, his, his mechanics kicking a million footballs like, like I did back in the day, of course. And, you know, you develop that trust. And again, just goes back to that experience thing. I just talked about with Trevor Lawrence is have this experience of, of, of kicking a ball the way you do it. And, and he's gotten really good at his certain mechanics that he does. And, 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 and again, when you throw the mental side of it in there, I'm telling you, it has a lot to do with how much you trust yourself. Um, I think the guys who struggle more mentally are the ones that don't quite trust what they're doing. Uh, when you get to a position where you're so good like Tucker is, and, and Vinatieri was, clearly, you could tell when he kicked the ball, uh, every kick was the same. He just It was a very repetitious sort of thing. He didn't try to any harder on game-winning kicks. And, and, again, that's goes down to that mental side. And football seasons, towards the end of the football seasons, I do a lot of podcasts, a lot of interviews, and I always talk about the same stuff as far as just trusting the form and the more experience you have with it, just rely on your mechanics to do the work. And, again, if you don't have those mechanics, what are you going to trust? What are you going to work on? And, and, and not try any harder. That's the biggest thing because when you get into the playoffs – Oh well, gosh, it's so much different. And no, it's not. Not for me. Not for kickers, clearly. But it, it's the same thing. And you know, when you're having a game-winning kick in the playoffs, you know, um, Matthew. Uh, I'm sorry, not almost Matthew. Right? Um, our, you know, Riley Patterson, our, our current kicker of the Jaguars. You know, that game-winning kick that he had. People, well, how did he do it? How, you know, what was going through his mind? I don't really know what was going through his mind specifically, but I know what would go through my mind. Like, why would I treat this kick any different than the first kick of the game? It's the same operation. Yeah, the defense is going to come a little harder, but yes, our, our you know, protection is going to be that much harder because they, they know that they're going to come and they're going to block better. So everyone's doing their job, you know, a little bit better. But as a kicker, mechanics and the whole operation of a kick itself, 
there's no reason I would have to try harder to do to to make a, a, an important kick. It's three points on the board. It just it just dep depends on the time of the game. Why would it matter what time of the game? And obviously the the result of the game. Obviously the three seconds left and. You make this kick, you win the game. I understand that that's that's the hardest part about dealing with kicking, you know, game winning kick is is that consequence, whether you're going to make it or not. If you can block that out and just treat it like, you know, dumb down the process, simplify the process and treat it like every other kick that you've always done. Why would you change it up? Why would you have to try harder? Why would you do anything different? You've done the same thing over and over again. Just trust the same thing and, and good things will happen. We are talking to former Jaguars and Bills kicker and president of Proform Kicking Academy, Mike Hollis. You know, you, you mentioned Adam Vinatieri. I think he's the GOAT because he has done it under the most pressure. He, he's done it in big games. He's won Super Bowls by kicking field goals. We haven't really seen Justin Tucker do that. So I, I think when you look at the big picture, uh, I think Vinatieri is the GOAT. But also, Sebastian uh, Janikowski was a great kicker, too. A guy that was drafted in the first round, if everybody remembers, by the Oakland Raiders. And everybody said, how could you draft a kicker in the first round? And you, you look at Sebastian Janikowski, he had a great career and probably is a Hall of Famer. When you look at Adam Vinatieri, Justin, uh, Justin Tucker, and Sebastian Janikowski, what do you see in the difference of the way all three of them kick? Well, uh, there's a big difference in all three of them, honestly. Um, you know, Adam is very, very, was very good at doing the same thing over again. Justin Tucker does the same thing over again. The mechanics of, of both of those guys, um, it wouldn't be things, you know, Adam tended, he had a little bit of a punch. He didn't quite follow through, but hey, that was his style and he made kicks. Um, Justin Tucker plants really close to the ball. I could never do that uh, and get away with it, at least. Um, I'd be missing kicks left and right. Um, and I know that Sebastian Janikowski, watching him over his career, uh, you know, athletically, when he was younger, he was just, you know, just a stud athlete. You know, he's from Jacksonville, and I've, I've, I've seen him firsthand. I've seen him play, you know, pick up basketball and soccer and things like that. And the dude just can do anything he wants. He's just a big guy, incredibly athletic. And early on in his career, you know, he wasn't mechanically very solid. And, and he was just, you know, walking back at an angle when his lineup, you know, when, during his lineup. Um, and I noticed at towards the end of his career, he changed things and he got a little bit better. His form was, was getting a little bit better. And I think, you know, when, when guys get older and they lose a little bit of athletic ability and, and, you know, they're trying to find, you know, ways to maintain their, you know, their, their status in the NFL and as a, as a, as a great kicker, um, you know, when you lose athletic ability and your form starts kind of, you know, going south a little bit, you kind of have to watch out for things and kind of figure things out as you go. And that's really what the definition of a professional is, is really finding, finding ways to make things, you know, happen uh, regardless of your athletic ability. You know, obviously you're getting older and you may not be as strong as you used to be, but I think he made some great adjustments older or later in his career and, and, and started kicking really well. And uh, he had a fabulous career as well, for sure. And strong, really strong. That guy was amazingly strong. So uh, you also played for the Bills as well, and obviously the tragedy that happened in Buffalo with uh, with Demar Hamlin. And luckily, he's doing a, doing better now, and he was able to attend the game. So, uh, what was your what was your reaction seeing that it's a freak accident that again I've, has only happened once on the field before? Yeah, you know, I I I have a, maybe a political opinion about that. I'm not sure how deep I want to get involved in that because I think there's something more to it. Um, if you look at the stats of 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 athletes falling, you know, to that kind of thing on the field for the last, I don't know, 40 years, this, it's like a thousand and something. And then this last year, there's over a thousand in one year. 
uh, there's something up with that, I think. And, and honestly, you know, he got he got boosted with the vaccine just, what, a couple of weeks prior to that game or maybe even a week prior to that game. And again, that's just my opinion. I, I'm not going to get too political here and, and, and all that. But I I've, uh, I've just I've just done a lot of research, man. I'm telling you, there's something to it. But, you know, it it didn't look like a hit that you would, uh, I, you know, there's people in Jacksonville. I've heard stories about uh, kids, you know, playing lacrosse, getting hit in the chest with a with a lacrosse ball, which clearly would would rupture or really hurt a kid in his chest and right. and, and and maybe you know affect his heart clearly because that's you know right there in the chest coming up you know that fast with that those balls are real heavy and and, mm-hmm. and they can do some damage. So I can understand that, but just watching that play, it didn't look that bad. So again, I, I don't have a great opinion about that. Um, was it freak? I don't know. You know, it, I'm glad he's okay, clearly. And, and that, it, that affected a lot of people. And that's probably the best thing that came out of this, obviously him surviving that. Of course. But one of the best things clearly that would, would happen is that people realize that football is not life. You know, there, there, there's, it, it, brought, it brought a lot of people together. Clearly the Bills and, and, the, and the Cincinnati Bengals, the whole city of Cincinnati. Look at look at how the, the fans reacted to that. And so, again, that was that was a huge light in this whole, you know, negative situation where, you know, it brought a lot of people together. And, and you know, we can all we can all realize, you know, that we're all human. We're all just people out there. We're, we're entertainers, you know, on the field, entertaining. We're, we're no better than anybody else in the world. And things happen to us just like they would happen to the normal average person. So. You know, I'm, I'm glad things are okay with him now. And, and um, yeah, I think the best part about it is how much it, it, it kind of brought light to, you know, us as players and just, you know, people in general and just loving each other. Like, like we all got to love our neighbors, man. There's a lot of hate in the world right now. I promise you, man. And it's, it, it's sad, but uh, I, I'm glad that uh, that kind of outcome, you know, it, 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 it felt, I felt, I personally felt like it brought a lot of people together in, in, in NFL teams and players. Mike, before we let you go, I want you to, kind of explain to some of the young fans that are interested in kicking and learning how to kick, how they can find you on social media, how they can find you to go to your kicking academy. Well, all my social media handles are pro form kicking. Um, you know, I've been doing this for 17, 20 years, something like that. Just, you know, a little bit prior to my, when I opened up my academy, I was coaching kids as well. But, um, you know, the, the thing I, I would love to work with kids and I have a different approach and, and I think that should, you know, at least raise some eyebrows like, wow, you know, and again, I'm 50 years old. I played a professional football game. I don't know, six months ago, back in June. I played a, a game uh, for the for the uh, Jacksonville Sharks. I, I played a game at, at the pro level in, a, in a, a National Arena League football game at the age of 50. And I, I know it's not because of my athletic ability, my size, clearly, because I'm not either. Um, I'm old. I'm 50 years old. I'm clear. I, I'm in shape. Old. You know, I, I'm in shape. <laughs> I'm, I'm mean, 40. I'm 40. Me. Now you're telling me I'm ancient. If you're old, I'm ancient. <laughs> Mike, Mike, don't worry. The, According to him, everyone younger than him is a baby. So, <laughs> In the sense of professional sports, I'm old, right? Mm, but, yes. but, you know, my point was saying that, and, and I also demonstrate for these kids, and I, and I feel like I have to because a lot of things that I'm talking about, especially like the first day a kid will come in, I, I, I kind of throw up a lot of information on them. I say, hey, I hope you came with an open mind because I'm going to say things that will be like so you probably never heard of before. Um, but the good news is, is I'm going to actually demonstrate for you and I'm going to show you because I know that one of the, some of the things that I'm going to tell you that's going to happen, you're not going to believe what's going to happen with the ball if I do a certain thing and, and certain, certain certain things with my mechanics. And I'm able to show them and prove to them I can do a certain thing and the ball will go a certain direction. And even though they don't believe it, I'm able to show it. So, uh, again, I, I'm, I'm, I love seeing 
that surprise look on their faces. And then, you know, fast forward, you know, six months down the road, however long it takes them to really get this, this stuff down, maybe a couple months, who knows. But when they finally have that first aha moment, you know, when they kick that ball, like, oh, my gosh, I know what you mean now. And, of course, it was a good kick. And that, that smile on their face, like, yeah, I know I know what you mean now. This is this is exactly what I'm supposed to feel. And that's a great feeling as a coach. And, and that's really why I do this. It's, it's, uh, it's awesome to see our guys do real well. And especially the ones that really, really take down the, the, the technique and, and really trust it and, and, uh, and work hard on it. Um, those are our best. I've got a kid that I work with four days a week, uh, three of the four days before his school. We're kicking in the dark until the sun comes up. And this kid is extremely dedicated. And he's been working with me, one of the longest kids I've had in a couple of years, of course, but he's he very consistent three to four times a week. And he's one of the best kids I've had ever. And so I, I think that uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, bright futures for this kid as well. And, and, and those guys who take it serious and, and, uh, and love it and enjoy it, those are going to be the best clients we have. And, and it's all about, you know, getting that college scholarship and, and moving on to the next level and hopefully getting the guys in the NFL. And, and uh, that would be a dream, you know, for me to have all kinds of kickers in the NFL. Well, keep up the good work. We really appreciate all the time that you give us. Every time you come on the show, it's amazing. And, and, and every single time we get distinct answers when it comes to kicking, uh, pro football, and really from your career. It's, we learn a lot of new things. This is the third time you've been on the show, and you've been absolutely fantastic. So keep up the good work, and we'll get you on soon, man. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. As everybody knows, we were talking to former Jaguars, Bills kicker and president of Proform Kicking Academy, Mike Hollis. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. Great guy. Uh, by the way, uh, Rob will be coming on more around 9 o'clock. He awesome. has a meeting to get out of right now, and he's just driving back home now. Rob's a busy guy. Rob yeah. Carpenter, ex-NFL player, played for the Patriots, played for the Jets, played for the Philadelphia Eagles, played for everybody. <laughs> I mean, if you, if, if you really look at... If you really look at some of these guys, even Mike, Mike played for a lot of different teams. Yes, he had a really good career. If you, if you go up and down some of the different rosters that these these guys played for, they were pretty good rosters. So even the Jacksonville Jaguars, they went into, they went almost all the way. They did. They went to the AFC title. They went game to the AFC title with game Mark twice. Brunel, and they were also they were also. The, at the time, when the Jaguars came into the league in 1995, they actually had the highest attendance rate in the league. That's how, how many people loved the Jaguars when they first came in in 1995. What happened now? <laughs> yes, yeah, since then, uh, the dysfunction has hurt them for a while, probably until just this year. They, they had a really bad stretch of it. Just, the mid-2000s, they were very good for, for a little bit. They, just had this, they were just in the same division as the Colts, so they didn't really get as much love when it came to that. And as a result, they, I don't think they ever won the division, but they had some good years as a wild-card team. But yeah, since then, they had a pretty bad stretch then 2017 came along they got screwed out of a super bowl and now all of a sudden they've had to work their way back from that speaking of being screwed from a super bowl the buffalo bill fans are all over social media right now every single one of them taking shots at eli apple because he uh obviously took shots at the buffalo bills after the game saying uh you know cancun on me so yeah. I, I i you know it's so interesting and we'll get into the buffalo bills game because it there was so many so many things that could have happened in this game and so many turn of events in this game that probably cost the Buffalo Bills a win. Now, the Bengals outplayed the Buffalo Bills throughout the game. It really, in the first half, there was no chance the Buffalo Bills looked like they had. They, the Buffalo Bills couldn't run the ball. Josh Allen couldn't throw the ball. And defensively, they looked horrible. They really did. You, you have one of the best defensive schemes in the NFL. One of the, it's been one of the best defensive schemes for the last three years, and it couldn't stop Joe Burrow. 
And Joe Burrow is not one of those fancy quarterbacks. He's not. He is a, a boring, you know, pocket-present quarterback that likes to stand in the pocket and make throws. He's a smart quarterback. He sees the field for what it is. He's got awesome wide receivers in Jamar Chase and, and uh, T. Higgins and, and, and Tyler Boyd. He has all these guys, all these weapons. And then he's got Hurst, who, you know, obviously a guy that the Baltimore Ravens probably wish they never got rid of. Mm-hmm. He goes to the Cincinnati Bengals and had uh, had a fantastic year, over 700 yards, and did the things that he did on the field. When you have weapons like that, and you have Joe Mixon, and you have Piran, you have all these different guys that can do so many things offensively. And by the way, the offensive line, which we thought was going to be a weakness in the game, was a strength. Was a strength. Now we sit here, and we could go back and forth on... The, the situation that happened on the sideline with Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs, okay? Now, Stephon Diggs, he, he had a little bit of an outburst on the sideline. Josh Allen, you know, he didn't really say what he said on the sideline back to Stephon Diggs, but I'm sure it wasn't something that's going to greet him and make him happy, okay? But when you're playing a big game, you're playing in front of your home fans, DeMar Hamlin, his family, in a snowy, disgusting day with, what was it, 20 degrees or 19-degree yeah. weather. You're not, gonna, and you're, you're not winning and you're not beating the team that everybody thought you were going to win. And everybody was talking about playing that playing game in Atlanta with the Kansas City Chiefs. And by the way, Joe Burrow had something to say after the game. Uh-huh. A lot of Bengals players had a lot, of, a lot to say. Go get those refunds, everybody. Zach Taylor was funny, too, in his press conference. He was like, oh, we're so sorry we had to make, we know the, all the planning process we had to make, and we sorry we had to th- throw a monkey wrench into it or something like that. He was funny as well. And, being and, I, res- the NFL. and I respect <laughs> Stefan Dix. I really do. I respect him because he, he's got that, you know, that push, that love and affection for the game of football. And, 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 and it drives a lot of players. It makes people love him. He really does. He embarrassed himself after the game. One, he stormed right off the field. He didn't even handshake anybody. He stormed off the field. He got dressed, and he walked out before the press could speak to him. And it, as a professional football player, one of the things that you get paid for, one of the things that you're supposed to do after the game is confront the press and talk about the game. And speak about the game. Even if you liked it, you hated it, it doesn't matter. You go out there and you speak. And he embarrassed himself. And the whole Josh Allen thing, Josh Allen said something very interesting. He said, uh, when, he, when he spoke to the press, he says, he's a fierce competitor. That's pretty much what he said. He wants the ball. He wants the win. That's, that's any wide receiver in his league. You don't think Jamar Chase wants to win? He wants the ball? You don't think T. Higgins wanted the ball? You don't think that Gabriel Davis wanted the ball? You don't think that Knox wanted the ball? Jamar Chase is a guy that has, has how many outbursts has Jamar Chase had this year before, before he got hurt and then after coming back? This, this is a guy that expects the ball every single time. Expects 100 catches every single year. Stephon Diggs, since he's gone to the Buffalo Bills, has had 100 catches a year. Has over 1,200 yards every single year. Almost 10 touchdowns every single year. Josh Allen gives him the ball. Josh Allen was feeding him the ball. It's windy. It's snowy. It's slippery. 
How about running a good route? Stephon Diggs did not play well. That Buffalo Bills team did not play well. That pass rush was inconsistent. And, and, and I don't want to hear it because they had three starting offensive linemen. The Bengals had three starting offensive linemen that were out. And they still shut down one of the best front sevens in football. Now, I, I don't think they were outcoached. I, I don't. Because we all know, everybody knows what we think about Zach on this show. But the Buffalo Bills, over the last couple, and they, maybe they're jinxed. Because in the 90s, they went to four Super Bowls in a row, and they couldn't get over the hump. The curse of Scott Norwood. <laughs> okay, they couldn't get over the hump. Jim Kelly could never get over the hump. Jim, Jim Kelly is probably one of the greatest quarterbacks that never won. Dan Marino, another one. Yeah, he's probably the best, for sure. And now you're looking at Josh Allen. And you look at the... and The Buffalo Bills are in the same predicament as the New York Jets. They really are. Because there are two teams fighting to win a Super Bowl. And every single... The last two years, going into the season, the Buffalo Bills were the favorites of going to the Super Bowl and winning the Super Bowl this year. And then Josh Allen getting hurt in the Jets game. In the first Jets game, he started to play bad. Then he lost against Minnesota. And then everything started to fall apart for the Buffalo Bills. And they had to catch up. They winded up winning the division. They lost to Mar Hamlin. Thank God he survived. And then go, go into the playoffs. They were kind of like crawling into the playoffs. The Bengals were the hottest team in football. They haven't lost since Halloween. And that, and you saw the difference of Joe Burrow and the confidence of Joe Burrow in the game and Josh Allen. They both played in the snow. They both played in the cold. It just looked like Joe Burrow wanted it more. Or Joe Burrow's game plan was better than Josh Allen's game plan with the Buffalo Bills. And I'll, I'll tell you this. For anybody that watched this game, defensively and offensively, the Bengals dominated defensively too. Josh Allen was hit like six times in the second half of the game. And as soon as they fell behind, as soon as they fell behind in the third quarter, when they gave up that early, uh, what was it, three points? Mm -hmm. The game was over. There was no way the Buffalo Bills were going to come back in the game. They were up by 10 in the half. Then the, the Bengals got three points on their first uh, drive in the third quarter, and then the game was over. And, 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 and that was the difference of the game. And, and you, we could go up and down from play to play, quarter to quarter, player to player. The Bengals showed up. Joe Burrow showed up. The running game. By the way, Joe Mixon was a beast. Yeah, He was an absolute beast in the game. And in the second half, they said, you know what? We'll sit Joe out. We'll, we'll, we'll give a little ball to uh, P. Ryan. And P. Ryan was running all over them, too. Mm -hmm. P. Ryan, the chief killer, now also extended that to the Bills. I mean, they could not stop the Bengals' running game. They had no chance of stopping the running game. Mm -hmm. and, and that was the difference because as soon as, as soon as the Bengals had the confidence they could run the ball against this defense, 
they didn't have to throw the ball, which they should have had all season, but they didn't. They were 29th in rushing yards all season. The Mixon had his worst year of his career. We were talking about it earlier with the running back contracts. Guys that have regressed from their running back contracts. Mixon only really got it going later in the season, but he was great in the playoffs last year and proves it again. By the way, we have a rare call from Snug. Snug, what's up, bro? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> First of all, I want to shout out to Kenny for having the best show. Love your show, Kenny. Don't be discouraged, bud. You hang in there and keep calling. Speedy, you get in there and you support that show. He needs a producer. He's got, he needs a little help making it happen, but you guys can do it. Okay. Second of all, that, that game was over on the first drive. Mm -hmm. It was done. Because the first, one of the biggest things was the snow and the Bengals took advantage of it. Offenses beat defenses in the snow. Defenses have to react and pivot, shift. Offenses know where they're going. That offensive line of the Bengals, I don't care. I mean, they, they were fired up and ready to go because they were ready to run the ball. It's easy to get guys to run the ball. Anybody, any offensive lineman in the league can line up and run the ball. The hard part is getting them to pass protect. Joe Burrow got the pass protection he needed in the first half because he completed 18 passes. In the second half, he only completed five passes. So he didn't need the protection because, to your point, Joe Mixon and P. Ryan ran wild on them. Mm -hmm. And I think that you're going to see something very similar coming up next week. I know you're not previewing the show. But no, we'll do that I tomorrow. Have, we'll do that tomorrow. Obviously. Mm -hmm. But I have to ask, you mentioned fancy quarterbacks. Mm -hmm. Who are the fancy quarterbacks? Because Josh Allen and Joe Burrow seem pretty fancy to me. Well, but Joe, you said that Joe Burrow doesn't do the fancy things. No, he's, he's, he's one of those boring quarterbacks. And I, I'm, not, I'm not taking shots. The boring quarterbacks are usually successful in the league. Tom Brady, he's a boring quarterback. He's a pocket Is he person. fancy? No, he, he's not. He's, he's, he's not fancy. And it, and well, the, who is fancy? Well, as far as dressing is concerned, uh, Joe Burrow is fancy. <laughs> That's for sure. Off the field. All those guys are fancy. fancy. No, Have you seen no. the ridiculousness they wear? It's like a weak face. Well, none speaking, of them are going to be as weird as Cam Newton. I'm, I'm speaking about the field. I'm not speaking about what they do off the field. Okay? But I, as far as what we – Josh Allen is a fancy player. What he likes to do is he likes to move out of the pocket. He likes to use his legs. He jumps over people. He uses his body and his built to knock people over. Joe Burrow, he's a tall, scrawny guy, probably weighs 210 pounds soaking wet. He's a guy that stands in the pocket. He believes in his strength. He uses his brain. He sees the fields. He so scopes out the field. And he sees the one thing about him is he never throws to his first first option. He always looks for his second and his third. That's what makes Joe Burrow so special. And here's another thing that I like about Joe Burrow. He's never afraid of the specific time that he needs to make the play. He's always in that time and in that place when he needs to make a play. And that's the difference. Josh Allen, over the last couple of years, especially in the playoffs, when it came down to it, in the Kansas City Chiefs game, he was fantastic. He needed to make the play. He made the play. But there were games before that, and, and his first year, remember when he went into the playoffs, his, I think it was his second year, right. and he lost against, I think, Tennessee. Houston. Houston. They were up 16 nothing at the half, and then they blew it. Right. And in, in the second half, Josh Allen completely laid, laid a lousy goose egg. He couldn't make any throw. He had problems moving inside and out of the pocket. And, and you saw that maybe because it was his first time in the playoffs, maybe because he was young. Now all of a sudden he's been there back-to-back-to-back years. He's been in that situation. And you expected, even if it's snowing, and they knew it was going to snow, and they play in the snow every single year. They had the advantage over the Cincinnati Bengals. How many times do you see it snow in Cincinnati? Not as much as in Buffalo. Buffalo they've had, I think, 
what is it, six feet of snow so far this year? They had, at one time, uh, in the beginning of the year, beginning of the winter, they had three feet, three feet of snow. Right, as it was so, getting to Detroit. Yeah, yeah so uh, th- this is a place that they practice in. They, they train on the field. They know how strong the field is and, and where the sleepery parts of the field is. Why did they go out in the game and they get outplayed by the other team, the team that never plays on the field and hasn't played on the field all season? I have it on good authority that Cincinnati trucked in five feet of snow to their stadium <laughs> for practice the week before. That's quite a tactic. I, there's still a difference between artificial snow and they and got snow it from Buffalo because <laughs> they wanted the snow to feel the same wetness and cold as Buffalo snow, so they trucked it in. Well, Joe Burrow is used to it himself, though, because he is from Northern Ohio. I will tell you this: uh, if, if people don't know, Joe Burrow has played in two snowstorms in his career, and he's won both of them now. Mm-hmm. Two snowstorms, uh, and he's won both of them. Joe Burrow just bothers winning. That's all that gentleman does. Well, like, that gentleman is an outstanding bat. And, and I, I'll say this again, and I'll, I'll say it over and over again. When everybody was comparing Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert, I've always said if, if you were to compare Joe Burrow to somebody, it would be Tom Brady. And, and the reason why is, is just his presence in the pocket. He stands in the pocket. He has a very fast release. He sees the field. He scopes the, the, the field. He'll throw the short passes. He'll throw the long passes. He's confident, and he is not afraid of the, this, the, the, the time and the place for anything. He has always been a successful quarterback from college to high school, and even when he was a third-string quarterback in Ohio State, third-string quarterback before LSU, uh, he decided to uh, – to go to LSU and play one one year and then win a national championship over there. And he became the number one draft pick. Everybody said that this guy was more confident and more understanding of the game than any quarterback, any quarterback that he's seen, that, that Ohio, uh, what was it, Urban Meyer said, mm-hmm. he's the best quarterback he's ever seen in, in big-time plays and big-time games that he's ever seen. And, and, and by the way, he never started Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow never started for Urban Meyer. Never. Never. Yeah, I do have it on good... Good authority that Justin Herbert is fancy just based on the mustache. <laughs> yeah, Joe. Like you can't have that mustache and not be fancy. Joe Burrow and Justin Fields were both transfers at the same time from Ohio State that never actually played for Ohio State. Fields did later because they just got him that year, but he didn't even start right away, too. They still at the end of Haskins, at the beginning of Haskins and the end of uh, Martell, I think it was. Tate Martell. Just think, Joe Burrow. When Urban Meyer interviewed and they mentioned Joe Burrow and what he did last year, and Urban Meyer said that Joe Burrow is the best quarterback at the position that he's ever seen play in a big a big stage and actually show up in a big stage and do the things that he was supposed to do. He has had so many people, Tim Tebow, all these different quarterbacks, and he said that Joe Burrow is the best, and he never started him. He never started him. So that just tells you the difference between what – you know what Joe Burrow is as a quarterback and what he's become as an NFL quarterback. Well, that's easy for him to say after the fact, right? Mm-hmm. That's really easy to say about your third string quarterback after he wins a national championship yep. and yep. shows up in the playoffs every year and gets a name like Joe Cool. Mm-hmm. And probably and probably would have destroyed them just as badly as they destroyed Clemson if Clemson was able to hold on and beat Ohio or Ohio State was able to hold on and beat Clemson. Remember, Ohio State blew it like a like fourteen point lead against Clemson in that game and Trevor Lawrence. Well, I mean, hell, Zach Wilson probably could have been throwing to Justin Jefferson and uh, it was Jamar Chase oh, and Terrence Marshall. Yeah, Jamar Chase. I mean, yeah, Randy know. Moss's son was on that team too as a tight end. You you got Mike Hollis out there kicking the ball to those guys and still probably score a few touchdowns per game. Yeah, yeah. 
It, but, it, it is pretty amazing what Joe Burrow is doing, and he he deserves a lot of credit. And now they're moving on to an AFC title game where they they're three and zero against Kansas City in the last three times they've met. And uh, to me, the advantage goes to it doesn't matter where it is Arrowhead, it could be in Cincinnati, it could be in Atlanta. It doesn't matter. It matters who shows up to the game. And and right now, if I was a Kansas City Chiefs fan, I would be worried about Patrick Mahomes. He is not a hundred percent healthy. We all know that he isn't. High ankle sprain means he's probably going to stand in a pocket. His strength is moving out of the pocket and throwing on the run. He's not going to do a lot of that. He was practically throwing on his front foot the whole ga- second half of the game. How he won that game against Jacksonville was absolutely amazing. I got to give him a lot of credit because uh, having a high ankle sprain and have to putting, have to throwing off your back. You always train to throw off your back foot. You're always trained to throw that, that way. That's where all your, your strength comes from. And he had to throw off his front foot. It's pretty amazing that he came back in in the second half and, and actually won that game for his team. That shows you the heart that he has and, and the ability that that guy has and the strength of his arm. So the question we all really want to know is at Miller's Alehouse, was anything thrown? No, no, not near our table, no. at least. There was nothing thrown. Were there any cupcakes served? Because that is fancy. No, but Errol did order that. a large dessert. I did. Oh, yeah. all right. Interesting. What did you order, Errol? I added, I, well, I ordered a large, <laughs> um, excuse me, a large brownie ice cream. With um, Oh, nice. It was good. It was heated. What yeah. kind of ice cream? Um, vanilla. It was vanilla on a hot brownie. It was really, really good. Did you eat it with your fingers? Because that's the only way to go. No, I didn't eat it with my fingers. <laughs> Why what, is, what? With COVID nineteen, that's fancy. Everyone else uses a fork and knife. I no, is, 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 is it Joe Burrow quarterback fancy though? With, with COVID nineteen, Joe Burrow would totally do that. We do it every week. We go to hold on thirty one flavors hold on. and Baskin Robbins. Hold, hold on, hold on, hold on. With COVID nineteen, why would I dip my hands in, uh, you know, into a dessert where everybody is going to take a taste of it? Well, then you have to ask yourself, where else have your hands been? Well, obviously, if you're that concerned, I mean, yeah, like, what are you touching? You're touching the table. I mean, even though the tables are being wiped down, it doesn't matter. You don't know what, what's on the tables. Come on, man. Even when you go to the bathroom, you wash your hands. You could stay under and wash your hands for 10 seconds. It doesn't mean it's 100 percent clean. Right or wrong? Well, and if by that theory, then you never can say that you're 100% clean no matter if you're in there for an hour. You're such a I don't think anyone's technically 100% clean unless they like go in one of those like isolated white rooms in a hospital or something. Yes, yes, yes. Clean rooms. I would agree with that. Or um, you can lick your hands clean. That works, too. And then you get all your immunities as well. If you lick your hands, you'll have from your tongue, though. So that wouldn't work either, Snug. I think the only way to do it is well, to be in those one of those white rooms. Maybe just go face first. You're right, Speedy. That makes a lot of sense, Bob. Oh, so you want me to stick my head in the brownie and not touch it? That'd be kind of cool if you did that and did it on camera because, you know, like well, maybe do it as a stunt for the Kenny show. Well, <laughs> no, I'm not going to do that. But thank K- you. Kenny might do that. I'm not doing that. I, I don't want to embarrass myself. As a matter of fact, uh, a lot of Giant fans were embarrassing themselves, screaming. <laughs> I remember when uh, when Philadelphia was on the offensive side of the ball, and they, they were screaming about Daniel Jones, and Daniel Jones wasn't even on the field. They were screaming. The yeah, Giant, I heard that too. Yeah, the, like, Giant, the Giant fans are screaming uh, at Daniel Jones, and Daniel Jones wasn't even on the field. I'm like, what? Are, are we watching the same I game? Hate, I hate to say it, but the, the Giants fans are a little bit of an ingrates with Daniel Jones because – He's better than at least half the league, wouldn't you agree? Yes, hundred percent. Yeah, probably 100%. closing in on the top ten, but maybe not quite there. So, it's—I mean, he, I'd rather have him than Dak Prescott. 
that was, train wreck of We'll get into Dak garbage. a little bit later in the show. Well, he outplayed Dak Prescott this year because Dak Prescott had 15 Dak Prescott's turns. not fancy at all. That guy's off the list. <laughs> He's off the list of fancy quarterback classifications. dog food. Is Daniel Jones fancy snug? Where, where do you classify Daniel mm. Jones of fancy quarterbacks? Does he count? Daniel Jones, he's pretty fancy. We've seen those haircuts. They're always sharp and on point. I well, imagine he dresses pretty good, too. I don't know about that. Daniel Jones never cuts his hair. Are you kidding me? Have you ever seen Daniel Jones have a fade? Have you ever seen I He has the same haircut he came when he, when he came to the league with Duke. He hasn't changed. I wish Daniel Jones would rock the mullet. I think he <laughs> would look perfect in it. Well, I, And it would be, distract the other teams. Well... You know, Snug, you you maybe you're coming on to something. So I don't know. I'm sure of it. Yeah. Well, well next time I hang out with Daniel Jones, I'll let him know. Yeah. Well, you you do that. You do that. Thanks, Snug. Thanks, Snug. All right, Jim. Yeah, Always a pleasure. Absolutely. Snug the cat. Mm-hmm. It's first time calling since uh, the first time Kenny was on our feed <laughs> on the video. Yeah. I, I haven't heard, I haven't heard from him in a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, he, he only calls when Kenny's on the feed. <laughs> yeah, but. He, he's right. The game was over from, from the, the start of the game. Right. It really was. Mm-hmm. Joe Burrow outplayed Josh Allen. And, and, and we could go and look at the numbers. The numbers, it's not about the numbers and what the numbers show. It, it, it matters what we saw on the field. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and to me, Buffalo had no running game. Right. Buffalo could not run the ball. They could not run the ball. And, and, and in the offseason, I think Buffalo needs to look at maybe some of these running backs, these uh, – Veteran running backs that are going to be available. Saquon Barkley. Are they going to have enough money to pay him? Right. No, they're going to have a lot of trouble paying him. What they really need to focus on is just the volume of running. They only had 14 rushing attempts in the whole game. But you don't have a game-changing running back. You don't have a Saquon Barkley. You don't have a Jacobs. These guys are available this offseason. Maybe you make a move for them. Maybe you, you shed some cap with some of the other players that you have on the team. You gave Von Miller a lot of money. He tore his ACL and MCL. So... He's, got, he's probably going to miss at least a quarter of the season. And, and maybe if Von Miller plays in a game, the game's different. Mm-hmm. I also think it's more of a concept-based thing where they've always been missing a power back for a while, just a guy that can wear the pass rush out. Because we've seen in a lot of the games, not the Chiefs game last year where they lost in the shootout, but a lot of the other playoff losses they've had, their offensive line has really had trouble. This game, their offensive line was not very good either. And the Chiefs lost in 2021 in the AFC Championship game. Their offensive line was abysmal. So maybe they need a, a guy that could just wear guys out, even just a power back in the fourth round to just do that and make it easier They've been drafting running back after running back after running back, and they they can't find a running back. So just like the Jets have a problem drafting quarterbacks, they have a a problem drafting running backs. Uh, A running back. Who was the last running back that the the Buffalo Bills had that was dominant? Yeah, it's been a while. It's weird because it used to be one of their strengths in terms of developing running backs. In the 90s. Probably Fred Jackson or C.J. Spiller was probably the last one. In the 90s was where they were the most dominant with their running back play. They they loved to run the ball. Even with Jim Kelly, they they were always a run first, throw second team all those years. Even when they went back to back to back to back Super Bowls, they were a run first, throw second team. And they were a defensive team. Yeah, they went from Thurman Thomas, then to Travis Henry, yeah. and then there were um, Willis McGahee. They had a lot of good ones before that, too. That was a strength of the Bills' development for a while when they couldn't, even after now Jim Kelly, really when they couldn't find another quarterback. Yeah, now they haven't been done it as well. But it just seems like even the ones they draft, a lot of them are, are just more agility back. Singletary's a smaller guy. James Cook, who they drafted, can run for a little power, but it's not that. I think they need a bruiser. I think they really need a guy that could just wear guys out on the defensive line and make it easier for Josh Allen and make it easier for they that need, offensive they line. They need an all-dimensional running back. They need a guy that can run, catch, do everything, dominate the field. 
And, and, and finding it in a draft has not been their strength. Mm-hmm. So maybe going after a free agent guy. And there's a couple of good running backs right. that are going to be available this offseason where you, may, you might not have to pay a lot of money. Ezekiel right. Elliott could be available this year. I think that would be perfect for them. I, I think that's the perfect Zeke type of guy Zeke could be need. available. They, they're, the, the Cowboys are probably going to drop him because they're going to try to sign Pollard. Right. That's what we're, uh, what I've been reading and, and some of the, uh, the uh, Twitter feeds that I've seen is that they're going to re-sign Pollard. So if they do that, they have to get rid of Zeke's contract. And I think Zeke will be available. And he's not getting a lot of money. He's he's no. getting old. He's getting up in age as a running back. I think he's 29, 30. Yeah, he's not going to get more than probably $8 million. He's not like even that. getting that. I don't even think so either. It was just The Bills just need that kind of back, though. They need their own version, like the Bengals have with P. Ryan, a, a power back that can help spell another back. Because I think James Cook is pretty good, but I don't think he's an every down back. And that's the problem the Bills need, to be able to run at a higher volume. Because we've even seen, you talk about like teams that don't have great overall running backs. We've even seen teams like the Chiefs, or Random running backs will break out in the playoffs, and they still will run at a high volume and succeed. We have not seen that yet with the Bills. By the way, uh, Jeff is on the phone now. Jeff, what's up, bud? Errol, for once, I couldn't agree with you more. Could not agree with you more. Joe Burrow is terrific. I mean, he played a flawless game on, on uh, I don't know, Saturday, Sunday? What day? Sunday. I don't know. Sunday. It was over the weekend. Yep. Yes. He was right. fantastic. You know who? Di- you know who didn't play uh, a good game this weekend? I can't wait for this. I can't wait for this. Dak Prescott. <laughs> yep. Dak, Dak Prescott has to be the biggest piece of dog shit the NFL has ever seen, ever play, ever. And how funny is it? Dak Prescott's such a big piece of shit that even other players on his team are getting the same injuries he had. How is it Tony Pollard breaks his leg? Dak Prescott. <laughs> Well, Dak didn't have a good game, and it wasn't just Dak's fault. The defense in the oh, fourth, it was. No, no, no it was. I, I will say this. The defense played fantastic all the way through the fourth quarter. The last 10 minutes, 12 minutes of the game, they started giving yardage to Christian McCaffrey. They, they started using schemes with Debo Samuel as a running back. It started opening up the field, and then I think the defense started yeah, but, getting tired. They did, but yeah, they don't have it. But that's exactly. But that's exactly what it was. You're hitting the nail right on the head. The defense was getting tired. Why were they getting tired? Because that piece of shit, Dak Prescott, after couldn't the, take the ball and drive down the field Jeff, and let the defense rest. Jeff, hold on one second. They lost Pollard in the second quarter. They lost Pollard. He was out for the game. High ankle sprain. They don't what, have. They don't, they, they don't. They don't have a guy that's better than Barry Sanders already on the team that could pick up that slack. I think that they do. And 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 here's the other problem with that. Oh, why can't Zach? Uh, why can't Zeke Elliott pick up the slack? I don't know. Maybe they're playing him at center. <laughs> that was funny. Well, that was at the end of the game. And Dalton Schultz, by the way, he he, and I knew stud, he, yeah, stud. stud, real real stud. I mean, they don't have any weapons. When you look at their 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 mm-hmm. offense, CD Lamb, obviously we know he's a stud. Dalton Schultz, horrible. Noah Brown, not good. T.Y. Hilton, wanna, T.Y. Hilton I don't, I don't should have been that, on the team. I don't want to hear that they have don't have any weapons. They made the choice to trade. Uh, Amari Cooper. They made that choice. And, by the way, oh, they don't have weapons? As far as I was told, they have a running back better than Barry Sanders. (laughs) Well, first of all... That seems to be a weapon. Well, I I, I think Zeke Elliott has been done with the Cowboys for the last two seasons. The guy can't stay out there. Oh, no. No, no. Better than Barry Sanders. Put respect on his name. I, you know what? What really hurt him was losing Tony Pollard before the half. That really hurt them, and uh, you saw the difference of the team. And when he, who's, when he, 
what, what Who's been say? telling you that all year? That the Cowboys are only going to go as far as Tony Pollard can carry them. Who's been telling you that? But, unfortunately, and by the way, the 49ers did not play a good game. Played great defensively. No. Maybe not on offense. Yeah, and Brock Purdy, say, uh... say what you want about Brock Purdy. He converted a lot of clutch third downs. And by the way, that the guy on the other side of the field that's making $200 million couldn't do. With all the weapons that the 49ers have, Elijah, Mich- Elijah Mitchell, uh, Christian McCaffrey, Debo Samuel, uh, all the different weapons that they have. Even George Kittle, who, by the way, had that unbelievable catch mm-hmm. in a third quarter. Amazing catch. It was unbelievable. But uh, to me, I, I, I just thought they, they were going to play better. And everybody was talking about – and I know you like Brock Purdy. I know a lot of people like Brock Purdy. It's not, I, that, I don't, it's not that I like Brock Purdy. I just think the 49ers have the best roster, top to bottom, offense and defense I, I through agree. the league. I think the Eagles do. I think the Eagles do. I think the Eagles being healthy, as, as healthy as they are now going into the playoffs, if Jalen Hurts plays the way he did against the Giants, nobody's beating him. And I, I, I will say this. That's the one position, and I realize, I, you know, I will concede you this. That is obviously the most important position. Yes. But that's the, only, that's the only place on the field where I think the Eagles have a very clear advantage because uh, maybe wide receiver too, because I think Debo is just as good as A.J. Brown. Yeah, I think they're, they're equal. But, you know, Devontae Smith probably better than Ayuk. Yes, that's fine. Is, yeah. But tight ends, Kittle is better than uh, Goddard. Uh, Goddard. The offensive line, the 49ers have a better offensive line. The 49ers have a better defensive line. The 49ers have a better secondary. Like, um, 49ers Eagles have better, better corners. Niners are better. Safeties. The Eagles have the best offensive <clears throat> line in football. Oh, I would disagree. Any team that has Trent, Trent Williams is the best. He's probably the best individual. The Eagles are a little better. The Eagles are better as, as a team, as an offensive line. And and, and here's the thing, the Eagles, even in the game against the giants and the giants put a lot of pressure in the wildcard game, a lot of pressure in the wildcard game. And that's one of the reasons why they beat Minnesota. And they used as six or seven DBs at some points in the game in third downs. They tried to do that. They tried to do that against the Eagles in the second quarter. They weren't having it. The Eagles were not having it. And when Jalen Hurts saw six corners on the field, he started running the ball. Every time they brought six corners on the field, he was running the ball. And the Giants couldn't stop him. They couldn't stop him. And I'll tell you this. If the 49ers do the same thing on Sunday, they don't stand a chance. Now, I, 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 love, I love San Francisco's defense. Their front seven is it's probably the best in the league. It's not even close. In their secondary, I think there's holes in the secondary. They have the best, probably the second-best safety in football. But throughout, the, throughout that defense, they have a bunch of young guys. That kid Ward has made a lot of mistakes so far in the playoffs. And now you're playing you're – gonna, you're going you're gonna to kind of probably put him on A.J. Brown. You put him on A.J. Brown, A.J. Brown's going to eat him up alive. This is this isn't the Giants. This isn't maybe, Slayton. Maybe, but any any of the top wide receivers are going to eat up whoever they play. Like, let's be honest. Like that is what it is. For a guy like AJ Brown, he's going to take. It's going to take two guys to bracket him to play him effectively. That's what it's going to take. Well, yeah, the Niners both playoff games so far. This they've had Seattle DK Metcalf, their number one receiver, had over 100 yards, and this game CD Lamb had over 100 yards. But the Niners have done a good job at stopping everybody else. I'm curious to see if Traverius, because Traverius Ward has struggled with those more exotic outside guys, if they try putting him on Smith instead because he has experience playing the slot with the Chiefs. By, by the way, do you see a trend, too? I, I, I noticed another trend. Who do you think was the Cowboys' best lineman this year? Zach Martin. Because I, 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 I would go with Tyler Smith. Oh, Tyler I guess Smith expectations-wise, probably, but Zach Martin's still their best. Tyler player. Smith had a Ty, great year. Ty, yes. Tyler Smith played multiple positions. He played them great. He was terrific. Uh, and 
uh, he has something very much in common with CeeDee Lamb. He was unwanted. <laughs> By the beef. Yes, we know. So is that, is, that, is that your reputation of, of who the best Cowboys players are? He didn't want Van Der Esch either, by the way. <laughs> right, but this is, right, but this is what I'm saying. The Cowboys, Jerry Jones, should call Mike from Bayshore <laughs> and say, Mike, who do you like? And when he says, uh, I like C.J. Stroud, they go, uh, they hit the panic button and they Everyone stay away from C.J. Stroud. He's terrible. <laughs> Cowboys will trade up from 20, 28 to, <laughs> to number five to draft him, and right. they'll give away right. six first-round picks. Right. They should call him and be like, what do you think is a position of need? Oh, wide receiver? Great. We're going linemen. It'll be, you know, it'll, like they should, it'll be like Nithin's trade proposal last year to go from 27 to four to draft Sauce Gardner. Here's some good information Wait. about the Cowboys and 49ers, games, uh, 49ers game that you probably didn't know. The 49ers advanced to the 16th conference championship since 1980, which is most in the NFL history in this span. Brock Purdy in, in, is fourth, the fourth quarterback drafted in the sixth round or later to make a conference championship, joining Dieter Brock, in 1985, Kurt Warner in 1999, and Tom Brady in 2001. C.D. Lamb with 111 yards. No other Cowboys skill player had more than 33 yards in the game. Brock Purdy is the third rookie quarterback since 1970 to win multiple playoff games in his first season as a quarterback. Christian McCaffrey with a touchdown in eight straight games. The longest streak of his career and the longest by at 49ers since T.O. in 1998. Cowboys offensive line only gave up five quarterback pressures all game. That's how good. Right, which, right, which, which good. tells you something about Dak Prescott, doesn't it? That the line held up for him, he had plenty of time, and he was such a big piece of shit, he still couldn't find anyone open. Mm. What, what's so interesting about that particular game not even with those statistics and those numbers and anything. It was just the way the game was moving. It looked like the Cowboys were dominating in the first quarter. Their, their defense played so well in the first quarter. And then after, obviously, uh, Brett Mahar actually missed that, that extra point, everything started falling apart because then you saw the Cowboys not trusting the kicker. And they decided, okay, every time it's fourth and three or fourth and two, we're going for it because we can't trust the kicker that he's going. Yeah, but he made it. But he made yes. kicks, and the one he missed the fourth, was, and the, the one he missed wasn't a miss; it was a block. It would have missed. Though. It was. You can see the replay. It would you have don't. Missed. You don't. You don't know that. It looked it, the way kicks, it was spinning. It looked curved. like it was going to miss. <clears throat> kicks curved, speedy kicks. It was curved. curving already, and it was curving to the left. Yeah, it was curving to the left. He was going. You it. don't know that it would have missed. It was a block. That is what it is. And and by the way. He scored more points than the rest of that team, didn't he? Yeah, technically speaking, yes. If you want to, if you want to. So, so this isn't about Mar or having no confidence or whatever. This is about how big of a piece of shit Dak Prescott is and how he's completely worthless. Well, Herm Edwards, completely worthless. Herm Edwards defends Dak, takes a shot at the Cowboys. I won't go there with it, but I will say it. It's unfortunate. It really is when you think about somebody in the organization. You're entitled to your opinion, but this thing is called a team loss. So he's saying... No, it's not. He, he's saying... It's, not, it's wrong. He's wrong. He's 100% wrong. It's not a team loss. The defense played terrific. You hold that that team, that 49ers that team to so, such few points, your offense should be able to put up more points and be able to control the ball better 
And Dallas probably should have won the game. And I'm not listening to football advice from someone who couldn't even stay at Arizona State and they're terrible and also began the downward spiral of the Jets. Well, Jeff, I'm gonna, I'll give you some context. The tweet, his comments was actually about the tweet the Cowboys team social media account had after the game where they said it was self-inflicted wounds and they showed a picture of Dak Prescott uh, studying film on the, on the tablet and mentioned the two interceptions. He was, he was talking about it with that. I don't know if, again... I, that social media manager needs a read because he was accurate. <laughs> he was speaking truth to how power. About, how about after the game, the Cowboy fans were breaking TVs and burning Dak Prescott jerseys? So, I mean, well, that's horrible. Well, it's you, can't, you can't blame one player on the reason why they lost, Jeff. I you, mean, you can't, you can't in that game. What are you going to tell me? The defense didn't do enough? No, I, I think that obviously Mike McCarthy made mistakes as a coach. The, the play calling in the second half was abysmal. Uh, it was. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Let, let's go over this. Because you just gave the stat. The, the offensive line only allowed, what, four pressures? Five, five, five total pressures. pressures that defensive five five total yeah. pressures in the game. And the entire game, the off- so the offensive line did their job. Okay? Mm-hmm. The defense, everyone's saying the defense did their job. They, they held up. They forced a ton of punts. They played great. Especially the first half of the game, they were terrific. Can we all agree the defense didn't, did their job? Yeah. So, yeah, the defense so, who, job. so who was lacking? Who didn't? Because you're saying all oh, the skill position players – uh, beyond C.D. Lamb only had like 30 yards. Well, who's in charge of getting the skill position guys the ball? There's only Dak one skill. There's only one skilled player on the field on that team. Who does the Stop Cowboys it. have? Come on, man. Who does the Cowboys Gallup, have? Gallup. Okay. Gallup. Schultz, Gallup. Noah Brown. Okay, let, let's let's see what Gallup did all season long. Do we do we have to look at his numbers? Because Gallup has not had a good season. Oh, the he, numbers again. And, and, hold on, dude. They, has, they got rid of Amari Cooper Amari, to go with Gallup. I, I understand team, that is a decision I, the team made I, before the first season. First of all, it was a decision that the organization made because they couldn't afford it. Because they have Ezekiel Elliott on the team. Which, by the way, if you want to point fingers on who didn't have a good game when they when Pollard got hurt in the second quarter and he was out for the game, it, it's time for Ezekiel. Elliott, he's Superman. He wears the Superman shirt. He wears the half shirt under his jersey. Who likes to show his abs? Why did he come up and show up in the game? He's the seventeen million dollar fullback and center. How dare you? Actually, how dare you? That is actual blasphemy. What you're doing to a running back that's better than Barry Sanders? Yeah, no, he's a seventeen million dollar fullback. Ten carries. Want to be a center? (laughs) Ten carries, twenty six yards, two point six. An average a carry. That is horrible. An average running back in the NFL averages three point three point. You're you're, three point you're missing the you're you're missing the other stat. He had one terrific snap. Oh yes, yes. at the end of the game. His audition to be Which, a. Summer. By the way, by the way, what 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 was Mike McCarthy thinking at the end of the game? I I, I, I honestly. He put, if you go back and look at the play, he put the lineman the two linemen on each. I side understand what he was doing. Right, and because it was going to be a game of pitching around, and you need a skill guy in the middle of the field for that whole thing. So I understand that play as goofy as the whole thing looked, right? I can understand that play. Uh, it's a it's a trick play. It's a gadget. It's play a, tri- anyway. it's a trick like, play that they, they throw right. it. They they threw it for the one thing. They did the route way too deep, though. They should have just done it as a, as a screen if they're going to do it like that. Then start the lateral Ex- to the outside. Right. Ex- I totally agree. I like, completely agree. They did the play wrong. Who did the play wrong? Dak Prescott. Yeah. Well, I, I know you hate Dak Prescott. I know. I don't hate him. I'm just highlighting that I've been right for the last seven years. LaShawn McCoy calls Dak an ass again after doing dur- doing it during a regular season game as well. So 
Obviously, LaShawn McCoy doesn't like Dak Prescott. He played for Nobody him. does. He played for the Eagles. So LaShawn McCoy has his thoughts. Um, also, Ezekiel Elliott says he would take a pay cut to stay with the Cowboys next year. So, well, he's going to have to. I don't think so. I think the Cowboys are going to have to let him go. I, I think there are quite a and few. And there's a lot of good running backs oh, yeah. in this draft. There's there's five running backs right now I would kill to have on my team. Kill. Yeah, well, again, I'm, I'm not going to request that for the Bills to do that because every single time the Bills bring in a running back, they, they just they fall, they just don't want I mean, there's five, there, there's five guys in this draft that are almost can't miss. Give us the five. Uh, off the top of my head, Bijan Robinson. He okay. is probably the best running back that we've seen in the last ten years. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, I know maybe, you like Charbonnet. Uh, I know you like Charbonnet as well. I like Charbonnet. I like Jameer Gibbs. Jameer Gibbs okay. can run, bro. Mm-hmm. And I'll give you two kind of like different running backs that are different styles. Don't count out Tank Bigsby. He's tough. Okay. He's tough. And the other one. Runs like a deer. Devin A. Chain is unbelievable. Yeah, he's gotten a lot of hype towards the end of the year. I, I, I could definitely see where he could work in the NFL. It's interesting. I mean, it is interesting. And and again, going back to the San Francisco 49ers account, it was an ugly game. It really okay. was. It was an ugly game. It was an all-defensive game. And, and if you like defense, that was the game to watch. Uh, what Michael Parsons did in the second quarter, uh, I forget what – was it the right tackle or left tackle of the uh, – of the yeah, it was the right guard. It was the right guard. No, it was the right tackle. It was the right tackle. When what, what he a, grabbed him and threw him on the ground, and then he he, he practically uh, pulled Purdy's arm to you know to the floor. I mean, you, it was unbelievable. You didn't even have to be a fan of defense to like that game. If you just enjoy watching Dak Prescott fail, it was a masterpiece. Uh, all right, we we all know you don't like Dak. Okay, we we all know twenty three for thirty seven, two hundred six yards, one touchdown, two interceptions, and and one of the interceptions was ab- his first one was absolutely brutal. And now and now throw up Brock's numbers too, by the way, because Mister Irrelevant outplayed Mister Hundred and Seventy Million Eighty. Nineteen for twenty nine, two hundred fourteen yards, no touchdowns. More, so so more yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions. Oh. Right, but more yards, and while he didn't have a touchdown, he's one touchdown less, he was also two mistakes less than Dak Prescott. And those two mistakes cost the Cowboys the game because they gave away points. Well, well also, yeah, one was in the red zone. Also, and... they, the fact that they couldn't kick the ball. I mean, honestly, in the first half, they didn't trust But they did kick the ball. Yes, he did in, the, make, he did yes make in the third quarter, they kicked the ball. They had to kick the ball because well, it was... that's on, that's on that's on McCarthy for not going to him earlier and 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 doing it like that. And there's McCarthy can take some of the other blame too because for the second straight year, terrible clock management. Yeah, it horrible was clock it was. management. It was absolutely right. Mike McCarthy tradition. That was probably to me, especially in the fourth quarter, with what three minutes left of the game, the fact that he wasn't using the timeouts and and I understand he thought he was going to get the ball last and. And, and and then they got the ball with with what, what was it like two minutes and fifty seconds they went they went three and out really really quick and he decides he decides I would have went for it because you weren't going to get another chance I didn't think they no, were going to get another no, chance no they did they, they, they did gotten another they did, chance forty no, they would have gotten another good chance no they but they would have gotten another good chance if the clock management had been fine because they would have gotten the punt off. Yes. And so there would have been 30 seconds, the the, the timeouts, and the Cowboys would have gotten the ball with like a minute 50 left instead of 40 seconds or 30 seconds or whatever it was. Well, they should have used the the two-minute warning warning 
for, right, but for if they, one if of they the run the punt team, if they run the punt team onto the field and get the punt away, the 49ers would have had the ball with two minutes and 30, like 30 and, to right. 225 left yeah. and run in place. Say they take five seconds. Great. Five seconds, timeout, five seconds, timeout, five seconds, timeout. And then they have to punt it to you. So you would have gotten the ball back with two minutes. Elijah Mitchell made a mistake too, stepping out of bounds. And that could have cost the 49ers and gave the Cowboys a little bit of more, more of a chance and more time on the clock to make plays. And by the way, Dak Prescott, I don't know what he was doing, uh, you know, in, you know, in the end zone. I have no idea. And the fact that Armstead didn't take him down it was is pretty amazing too. I he was that was a safety. You know, I I don't know how he got away and then he just threw the ball away. And by it just just terrible play calling. And and what the heck? And I'll say this. What the heck was Dalton Schultz doing? How did he not oh, the Terrence Williams school I mean, of going out of bounds? What the hell are you doing? I mean, and then they went to the, the, the everybody knew that he, he didn't have both feet in. Everybody knew. So they had to go and they had to check the, the, the instant replay. No, well, the instant replay. I the ref know, called him in. I, I know that the ref called him in, but everybody on the field and everybody in the audience knew and the fans knew that he did not have both feet in. Yeah. I knew it. I, I saw it. There was no way his two feet were in there. And then you, you see you see Mike McCarthy at the end of the game. It's like I, I, I sometimes I wonder. Mike McCarthy was as good as his quarterbacks was. Okay, he, he coached Brett Favre, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. He coached Aaron Rodgers, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. Okay, now he goes over there to the Dallas Cowboys and he coaches Dak Prescott. And everybody thought the reason why Jerry Jones brought him in there is because he's, he's a lot of people thought he was a quarterback whisperer. He can help Dak Prescott develop his skill. And what has he done? If anything, he's made Dak Prescott worse, honestly, because I think. Everybody keeps saying, well, Jason Garrett was horrible. Jason Garrett was horrible. If you look at Dak Prescott's best year, it's with Jason Garrett. So you could go back and forth and argue your points on what Jason Garrett did and, and how, how, screw, how much he screwed Dak Prescott's motion, his throwing motion, everything. Dak Prescott's best year was with Jason Garrett. So that's why I laugh when everybody says, well, Jason Garrett sucked. Yeah, they didn't win with Jason Garrett. They're not going to win with Mike McCarthy either. Jason Garrett also had trouble with clock management. Right, but right, but you know what's funny about Cowboy fans though too, because they were so quick to shit all over Tony Romo. We don't want Tony. We don't. We want Dak. We don't want Tony. We want Dak. Well, now they got him, and now they all don't want Dak Prescott. Cowboy fans are perpetually unhappy with what they have. Perpetually unhappy. And, it, and yeah. you want you want to know who my MVP of the week is? Who? Natalie Buffett. Well, Natalie Buffett is my hero. Do you know who Natalie Buffett is? That's now broken up girlfriend. The girl that looked Dak Prescott in the eye and said, you're a loser, and dumped him this week. She, does, she wants to be with women, and that ain't Dak. Good for Natalie Buffett. Well, but you, have to, you, have to, you have to realize she knew she wasn't getting a ring. I don't think. But this is the first good. of three That's in a row. That wasn't my idea. I just saw it in a meme. Mm-hmm. That's pretty good. <laughs> she knew she wasn't getting a ring. But, but this funny. is the first of three in a row. <laughs> Jack, Jack Prescott's amazing. You'll see. We're going to win Super Bowls. So I, my, my response to that, to that question was just which team was he going to play for? Because we knew it was going to be the Cowboys. Don't worry. He'll win as a backup three, three Super Bowls I, in a row somewhere I else. Pray, I hope Jack Prescott gets cut or traded, goes anywhere. And I hope that team immediately wins a Super Bowl. Immediately. 
<laughs> All the Cowboys fans want to trade him now. <laughs> well, they want to trade him, but they're not going to. I'm no, I don't think they will either. But <laughs> first of all, he just Cowboys signed. fans are the worst people on the planet. He just he just signed an extension, so I don't think Dak's going anywhere, and and I don't know who's going to want him. He, he's making. Yeah, but there's outs though. I think that there's outs in that contract. Not, I, I think not for another year. I think he's still. Yeah, he's got two more years left. Yeah, I think he has another year left before they can out. They can out the contract. I think it's a year. I don't. I don't. I don't know about that because they reworked it though too. I don't know. Speedy will no, look because they restructured it. it. No, I, I know they re- restructured it, and there was a reason why they restructured it. So oh, there's can, an out after next year. That's what I next just said. Year, yeah, right. Yeah, that's yeah. what I said. I, I know it was next year because he has two more years left on the deal. This deal came in 2021. So. And, and 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 Dak. Dak, you know, as much as Oh, Dak- and it's only going to get worse for them, too, because of the restructure. Do you know how much Dak Prescott counts against the salary cap next year? It's uh, His contract this year is $49.13 million. And no, if, if they- no. His contract this year, because of the restructure, was 19.73. Oh, yeah. Next, next, year, year, next, it go- year, next year it goes to $49 million, and the year after it goes to 52 And if they cut him, mm-hmm. right? So if they cut do they have to keep him. Because he's going to count for 52 in 2024 because if they cut him, he'll be $39 million worth of dead cap. Mm-hmm. Well, Woof. What what a actual negotiator Jerry Jones is. I mean, this guy is next level brilliant, isn't he? Thank God, thank God, his, wow. son, thank God his son has a little bit of stability in the organization. Otherwise, who knows where they are. Oh. oh. Well, Cowboy fans just deserve this guy with these contracts. I love it. I hope they're all they, miserable. And they have to pay C.D. Lamb soon, too. Mm-hmm. He's going to want $100 million. I told the Beeb the other day. I said, he's, he has one more year. He, and, and, and then they have to franchise him. He's not going to like being franchised. Mm-hmm. He's going to want $100 million. He's, to me, and I told, and he, he keeps telling me they should have kept Amari Cooper. You, over the last couple of years, how many times have we heard the Beef say that Amari Cooper is better than C.D. Lamb? C.D. Lamb had one of the best years a, co- uh, a, a cowboy co- – uh, uh, I'm sorry, a cowboy wide receiver has had since Terrell Owens. Okay? You can't go off of what he wants, though. He's so perpetually wrong about everything. He's screamed about every draft pick for forever, and they all turn out to be good when he says he doesn't want them. I even told him at Miller's House it was funny because the player he wanted was Xavier McKinney. He was obviously now a giant. I, I said, don't worry, Beef. When, when the Cowboys let C.D. Lamb go, you could, you could try to trade him to us. We'll give you Xavier McKinney in a third-round pick. <clears throat> yeah, well, but that's the thing. That's, they should hire Beef to be their GM so that, that he can just draft all the miserable pricks that will always perpetually be no good, and the rest of the league can have good players. Well, McKinney's Tyler good, but he's not as good as C.D. Lamb. No, he's yeah, not. But, CD Lamb but he is didn't want CD Lamb. But he didn't want CD Lamb. I know he wanted Xavier McKinney really badly. So I offered it to him with a, at Miller's House. Xavier McKinney and a third round pick for CD Lamb. And the belly aching that he did when he called me about Tyler Smith—that's what led to us not talking because I laughed at him for not liking Tyler Smith and oh, got mad okay. and cried. Right? Well, like he, I was like, dude, Tyler Smith's a good player, yeah. and he, you know, everything that he thinks is good ends up sucking. And everything that he hates ends up being good. Well, I, Van Der Esch. Van Der Esch is another one. How upset was he when they drafted Van Der Esch? I don't know. Probably their second best player on defense. Yeah. Parsons being the best. Yep. L- listen, the Beef's not always right about his thoughts of, of certain players and, and comparison to stats to what, some of the other What do you players. mean not always right? 
I would take Wright one time. <laughs> so far, he hated Tyler Smith. He hated C.D. Lamb. He hated Van Der Esch, right? He he uh, he thinks Dak Prescott's the best. He thinks uh, uh, Zeke Elliott's better than Barry Sanders. Name one time he was right. Wow. All I could say is, C.D. What C.D. Lamb did this year was probably this is the best numbers a Cowboys a wide receiver has had since Terrell Owens did it. Okay, he's terrific. He he is he's the best wide receiver they've had since T.O. And T.O. is one of the greatest wide receivers. And ever taken third him. amongst wide receivers in that draft. Yes, nobody said the Raiders were the brightest either. As good as Amari Cooper was, his best year. He never had 1,300 yards, almost 1,400 yards. His best years, he's and, – and by the way, C.D. Lamb has had nine – this is nine touchdowns in, this year. Amari Cooper, in his whole career, has only had nine touchdowns one year, and that was this year with Cleveland. Yep. So that just tells you – and C.D. <laughs> Lamb is – C.D. Lamb is in the – what is he, two, three years into his career? Third year in the league, uh, th- yep. Yeah, he's three years into his career, and he's already – breaking cowboy records and numbers. And that just shows you how great. And he's the only weapon they have. If you watch that game, I, Michael, I mean, Gallup's, look, Michael Gallup's look, okay. Him, but, but Dalton Schultz is a good tight end. Oh, man. Come he's on. a good, but again, he's not. He's inconsistent, though. So. He's inconsistent. and, and, and He's and, only inconsistent because they don't really throw to him. And they have another tight end on that team, too, that gets looks. Yeah, they have a couple of rookies tight ends. This yeah. is how good C.D. Lamb was in that game. They knew the ball was going to C.D. Lamb, and they still couldn't stop him. They still couldn't stop him. They had two guys defending him in the third quarter and the fourth quarter, and they still caught the ball. Right. So, yeah, well, he would have been shut down if they put Xavier McKinney on him. That's who the beef <laughs> won. It seemed like, though, they didn't really— And I, I remember the beef, and not just the beef. A lot of Cowboy fans, when Amari Cooper was traded and everybody was all over social media, why would you trade Amari Cooper? Because they knew that <clears throat> CeeDee Lamb was the next thing, and they had to— Give him his opportunity to be that number one guy. If well, but they were Cooper... also forced, but they were also forced yes. into it because yes. the, because the, because mo- the, the contract, money played yes. in, the, the, right. The money played a, a part of that, and that's because uh, the old man from the Scooby Doo cartoons keeps screwing it up, handing out ridiculous contracts. <laughs> How about this? He could have dropped Ezekiel Elliott. He could have dropped Ezekiel Elliott and kept Amari yeah, Cooper. No, he couldn't. Not without a huge dead cap hit. Well, I would. I would have. I would have. What are the two? What are the two worst contracts in the NFL? The two worst contracts in all of the NFL. Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott. Are you going to say no? Aaron Rodgers being it's one not, of them. It's, Aaron Rodgers. No, 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 I mean, no, he, Aaron Rodgers is living up to it. Yes, Dak Prescott's not living up to it. Not, but you, you, but you even said it. It's fifty million dollars. You're paying one player fifty million dollars, which hurts the cap of your team. Where it, it, you, you can't really use the other part of the, that cap to go after players. Ra- I would rather right, but I would rather pay. One Aaron Rodgers fifty million dollars than Zeke and uh, Dak Prescott sixty five million dollars. Well, don't worry. The worst contract in the NFL still Kenny Galladay's. Hey, he was only seventy four catches this year away from getting his bonus. That's don't not worry. Too bad. Don't worry. He had that one key block, and now he'll be disappear for eight more games if they even right, keep on the, the team. Right, but those are those, I mean those are two ridiculous contracts. You don't give a running back. What is it? Eighteen million dollars a year. Mm-hmm. It's a seventeen million dollar fullback and center. Right, well, seventeen million. I was off by a million. You don't give a running back seventeen. First of all, the only running back you pay is Derrick Henry, and that's it. Otherwise, draft them, run them into the ground. They're worth well, nothing. Get ten of them. Here's the 
out of of all seven top quarterbacks in the league, this is how much they make. Christian McCaffrey makes $16 million a year. Alvin Kamara, $15 million a year. Zeke Elliott, $15 million a year. Uh, Dalvin Cook, $12.5 million a year. Uh, Derrick Henry, $12.5 million a year. Nick Chubb, $12.25 million a year. Aaron Jones, 12000 a year. And then Joe Nixon. Joe Mixon. Well, not twelve thousand a year, but I mean twelve million. I'm sorry, twelve million, twelve million. So they're both making twelve million. So Aaron Jones and Joe Mixon are making twelve million each. So right, but right, but but here in comparison, and I'm going to make an unfair comparison because it'll be fun. What did you say Zeke was getting? Thirteen million a year? No, Zeke Elliott is making fifteen million a year. Fifteen million a year. Do you realize for fifteen million a year, I can get thirty? Damian Harris is on my, on that roster. Thirty of them. I I understand what the the Patriots do and how they like to maneuver. But it's not just the, it's but it's not just the Patriots. The Chiefs are doing it. Is it working out with the Isaiah Pacheco? Yes. Yes. You, like is, are... is it working out with the Eagles with Kenny Gainwell? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could go right. You can go around the league. And, dude, was it working with the Jets with Brees Hall? I think it was. I can get 30 running backs on my roster. So when Tony Pollard breaks his leg, guess what? I don't care. I got 29 more of the guy. Yeah, on the but who drafts, who drafts a running back in the top five in the league? How many times do you see that? The Giants but and no, the Cowboys. But, no, but, no, the one's say, but no one's saying you have to draft them in the top five. You can find 100 running backs. I understand. Fifth round, sixth round, I, I seventh round. And they're all the same. I and they're all the same. I understand. But when you draft Ezekiel Elliott as high as you did, and then he becomes a free agent, you want to bring him back to your team. I think they overpaid for him, and I think it really cost them. They lost players. They, they If they didn't pay Ezekiel Elliott $15 million a year, and they, they cut it down to ten, they keep Amari Cooper. They would still have Amari right. Cooper. And it might be a different right. game. It might have been a different game against San Francisco. It might have been a different season with Dak Prescott. Right, but that's how poorly – but that's, I'm just highlighting how poorly run that organization is. That They handed out probably the two worst – Oh, excuse me. Pickups. Two worst contracts in the league, probably. Dak Prescott's not worth eating up 12, 13, 14% of your total salary cap. He's not. I He's not worth it. I understand that. And, and that, to me, with the <clears throat> quarterbacks and, and how much these quarterbacks are making now, and, and again, we're talking and we're, we're going to speak a little bit about Aaron Rodgers. We'll try to get into Aaron Rodgers tonight if we don't. Uh, cause we have, uh, what's, the, what's the total, ca- what's, what's the total cap? 253, 254. I think it's going up 7 million this year. Right. So what's two, what's 40 million. That's gotta be, is that 15% of your total salary cap Yep. on a guy that is dog shit? I don't, I, I know you want to, you want, you want to put Dak Prescott down that he's like dog crap. I, I don't think Dak is as bad as you make him out to be. He can't play in the Dude, big he game. Only be, he, he can't only, play he, in the big game. He can't. Well, not only that, he also can't play against winning teams. Remember that one yes. year? He only beat one team yes. with a win. 2019, and, I know. And, and, and Cowboys fans go nuts for, oh my God, he's so great. Why is he so great? Because he threw for 400 yards against the commanders? Get out of here, dude. What we have seen with Dak Prescott the last two seasons is when it, when the going gets tough, tough and it get the pressure is on him, he makes mistakes and he made a, he made a, a significant amount of mistakes in the fourth in the first quarter, running mistakes which got him sacked and put his team back certain in certain positions. I think the mistakes that Dak Prescott made in the first quarter really cost the the uh, the Cowboys a chance to maybe take an early ten nothing lead. 
or maybe right. a fourteen nothing lead. He made a, right. a so tremendous he, amount right. of mistakes. He's the and, one making the mistakes. And how many times do you see in the last five six weeks? How many times have you seen San Francisco not score two or three touchdowns in a game? Usually, look, when look, you can uh, cut them down to one or two touchdowns, you have a chance of winning the game. Am I right or wrong? Look, look, look. Brock Purdy basically played the same game as Dak Prescott. Right? You look at the numbers; they're essentially the same, except for two glaring differences. Third down percentage, which Brock Purdy was awesome, and Dak Prescott sucked, and the interceptions. That's what it comes down to: is not making, dude. How many interceptions did Dak throw uh, towards the end of the season? I think he led the league. Yeah, it was 15 interceptions. He led the league in interceptions, and he led the league in total turnovers. Right. He's just making terrible decisions. So when you look at the game, and I know you're reluctant to blame Dak Prescott, the defense did their job. The offensive line did their job. All right, Mike McCarthy, he stinks, but we all knew that. The clock management stuff. But they shouldn't have been in that position because Dak Prescott shouldn't have been turning the ball over and doing dumb shit. He is dog shit. Thanks, Jeff. <laughs> I mean, he is. He's a bum. And their fans? Horrible. Horrible. Thing. Give me top five worst fan bases in the league. Thank you, Jeff. Name, name the top five worst fan bases in the league. Uh, the Atlanta Falcons, because they don't show up, but no one cares because they're not around to say shit. So Falcons are in there. Uh, Cleveland Browns. I think that dog pound is bullshit. It's so dumb. And then the top three are Dallas, the Cowboys, and the Cowboys. Those are the top three. It's like my list with Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons is terrible. Thank you, Jeff. Cheers, boys. Well, the Beeve's not happy. That's for sure. Uh, the Beeve has been, you know, sending me some nasty text messages telling, uh, telling me to tell Jeff to keep his name out of his mouth or you know what. And No, it's interesting. I, I, I will say this. What we saw this Sunday was great football. All the games were very, very fun to watch. They, every single game. The Jaguars in Kansas City, that was a close game. That was fun to watch. San Francisco and the Cowboys. The only game that wasn't close was the Eagles and the Giants. And, and again, a lot of Giant fans thought it was going to be close. I, re, I remember reading the newspaper, the, the Post, how everybody says, this isn't the same old Giants and, and all this other stuff. And the Giants have never lost against a number one seed in the playoffs. They're 6-0. and Well, the Eagles... Obviously, read those things, or I, I don't know. I, I don't know what the Eagles were, you know, telling I, I, what the the coaching and the coaches were saying before the game. But obviously, they had the newspaper set up. Uh, some of the some of the things that Stephen A. Smith was saying. Uh, Stephen A. Smith had said that the, the the Giants didn't stand a chance in the game, but he said if the Giants can keep it close in the first half, the Giants could win the game. That's what Stephen A. Smith said. Okay, so I I just thought when you look at the talent. From the Giants and the Eagles, the Eagles were far and along more talented. And usually it doesn't go that way in the playoffs. It's not always the most talented team wins. It, it usually means, usually if, if you have a good quarterback, you have an elite quarterback, that quarterback will keep you in the game. And if your defense could show half up in a game and you can run the ball and control the clock, you can win the game. The Giants did it in 2007 and 2011. They weren't the best team. They weren't even the most talented team. So I say 11. Uh, they had, they really had no weapons whatsoever. Victor Cruz, I mean, and he, he was a rookie. Mm -hmm. He really exploded when he beat the when the when the Giants beat the Jets that year, Christmas Eve. I was there at the game. Nobody even knew who Victor Cruz was, and his is what do they call it? The salsa, the salsa dance. Okay, 
and the birth of the salsa dance. And then obviously the Giants went on a run. They were a nine and seven team. They were a wild card team, and they did what they did. It, it was it was absolutely amazing. And that it shows you it doesn't matter if you have the strengths of these positions. If you have the strength, it's it's always about the trenches. If you have a strong offensive line, you have a strong defensive line, and you have a competent running game, it don't matter how good your quarterback is. It doesn't. You need the quarterback to make plays. In in the big parts of the games, in the fourth quarter, Eli Manning, Tom Brady, even Peyton Manning when he won the Super Bowl, he needed to make those throws. In the, he had a terrible game against the Chicago Bears. He yeah, played Rex Grossman. Right. He was terrible. Yeah, but but in the fourth quarter when he, he needed to make a play, he made a play. Mm, Joseph Adai was the best player in that Even game when he course. played for the Broncos. And the Broncos, he was horrible. He was done. His career was over. When he needed to make the play in the Super Bowl, if you remember, when he needed to make the plays in the Super Bowl against Carolina, he did. And that's that's what that's what you need a star quarterback to do. When the going gets tough. Joe Burrow. Was Joe Burrow great in the Super Bowl last year? He wasn't. You look at his numbers, they didn't stand out. They, they, throughout the playoffs, he was good. But in the Super Bowl, the defense dominated. Both defenses played very well in the game. Matthew Stafford outplayed Joe Burrow in the game. And that's why I believe the Rams won. And the Rams could run. The, the, the Rams finally found out how to run the ball in that game. The whole playoffs, they couldn't run the ball. And then finally, in the, th- in the second half, they finally figured out how to run the ball. It was a trio of running backs, but they ran the ball. Yep. They finally were able to break off a carry that was more than five yards. I think that was the first time all postseason they did and that. And Joe Mixon didn't have a great game in the Super Bowl. And that was the difference. Everybody thought Joe Mixon was going to be the exploding player. He was going to be the guy that was going to take over the game. And he had what? I think the second quarter he ran the ball. A couple of, He had a couple of 10-yard runs, and that was it for him. Yeah, he, he, had, the, he had one in the fourth quarter, too, yes, that, he helped, did. that helped set him, set him up in the field goal range. They, yards, they yeah. were held off that. And he had a passing touchdown, too. But yes. <laughs> beyond that, yeah, very He did nothing. Yeah. He did nothing in the game. And everybody thought, everybody on their, you know, DraftKings, everybody was picking him to score one or two touchdowns and maybe, somebody did say he was going to get a throwing touchdown in the game. I know. (laughs) So, but, I mean, nobody would have thought that the game would have ended up like that. And Odell Beckham was on his way to win an MVP and he, he, he tore his ACL in the game. So, again, you just don't know what's going to happen in games. What's interesting about playoff football is there's always a surprise you know, a star that comes out of nowhere. Always. Defensively, offensively, somebody shows up in the game and just completely explodes, and you never even heard of the guy. Mm. And or you've heard of him, he just was a nobody. I think that's the biggest issue, too, right now with the state of a team like the Bills, a Bills team that's very talented. And I, I know they have all the injuries, a lot, of the, a lot of the injuries on their defense this year, but still, I think they haven't been able to do the other unknown things yet in a playoff game. When they've won the game, they've dominated their way. But when it comes to a tendency of theirs being taken away, they haven't been able to adjust to that. Yeah, they won that sloppy one against the Ravens when it was a 10-3 to game and nobody had an offensive touchdown forever. But beyond that, all the playoff games they won have just been based on their passing game and just dominating from there. And even the game, the loss against the Chiefs last year, they weren't they weren't really shying away from anything different than what they normally do. They just got out-dueled in a shootout. So I, that's the only thing that hurts them. When you look at a team like the Bengals, they were able to run when they haven't been running all year. Their offensive line, their backup offensive line, actually protected. You look at a team like the Chiefs, I mentioned earlier. Andy Reid always finds a running back to randomly break out in the playoffs. Damian Williams did it. Jarek McKinnon did it. Now it was Pacheco this year. 
the Bills really haven't had that kind of thing yet happen to them, and I think that's the next step they need to take from a, either a coaching standpoint or a development standpoint for them to be able to take that next step. The Bills have always had that problem to find. They, they, for years, they needed to find the next guy since Jim Kelly. They found one, obviously, in Josh Allen. Now, they've always had good running games. You, you're talking about Thurman and all these other guys that they've had. And, and all, the, all the guys that trioed right up to now, and now they can't find a running back. It's it's been every single every single year it's something else. They added Von Miller this year because they thought that Von Miller was the game changing pass rusher they needed to help them win a Super Bowl. They bring him in, he tears he tears his, he tears his ACL uh, week five, week six, and he's out for the season. So it's not it's not about one player. It's a team game, and I understand it was snowing, and everybody's going to say it was snowing, but the the Bengals had to play in the same weather. They had to play in the same weather, and it was your home turf. It was loud. It was cold. Everything was against them. All the chances of them winning, I mean, the num- the numbers don't lie. Going into the game, I-, I think the chance of them winning was like 65, the Bills 65%. Yeah, I could believe that with the offensive line injuries. 65%. And they completely outplayed them. Outplayed them. And, and, and again, we could go all, we can attack Every bit of the game when it comes to the coaching, because we all know about the Bengals coaching. We're not big fans of the Bengals coaching. Nope. But honestly, I'm not a big fan of the Buffalo Bills coaching either. I'll give Taylor credit, though. He did coach, especially in the first quarter, very well in that game. I Taylor guess. had a good game. Yeah. He had a good game. That was the best Zach Taylor game we've seen in a very long time. In the playoffs his whole career. It, it, was, it was a great game plan. He game planned it perfectly. And the defensive coordinator, the way they... They defensively completely took Josh Allen out of the game as quick as they did, showed you that they had a game plan, and they followed through with the game plan. The Buffalo Bills, I don't know what their game plan was. Throwing more balls to Stephon Diggs than than Gabriel Davis, I don't know what they were thinking because Gabriel Davis, in, in a lot of aspects of the game, was open. He was open a lot, and they didn't throw him the ball. And, and I don't know what Stephon Diggs was doing on the sidelines, but he was doing something. Mm-hmm. Because if he's arguing, he's saying he's not touching the ball. He, I think he was thrown at at least 11 times in the game. I think it was 11 times. I don't have the numbers up in front of me, but I'm pretty sure it was about 11 times. 10 or 11 times. Gabriel Davis, 7, 8. And Gabriel Davis, in the big games, if you remember against Kansas City, who was the best wide receiver on the field? Gabriel Davis. How many touchdowns did Gabriel Davis? Four. Four touchdowns in that game. That's the difference. How many? I'm, what, are you looking at Speedy? What is it? I'm trying to find it. There's no uh, target listing on this thing. It's all right. It's fine. As far as Aaron Rodgers is concerned, I know a lot of Jet fans are excited when you hear our 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 great ex quarterback come out and Broadway Joe saying that he would give he would take his number out of retirement, his number twelve out of retirement for Aaron Rodgers. And I I don't understand why anybody is talking about Aaron Rodgers right now. We don't even know if Aaron Rodgers wants to play in New York. We did hear from Adam Scheffner over the the weekend saying that the only way the Green Bay Packers trade Aaron Rodgers is out of the NFC, out of the conference. They will not trade him to an NFC team. Because they don't want to play him. Now, the only two teams 
that I can think of that would make a move for Aaron Rodgers, where Aaron Rodgers might want to go, is the Las Vegas Raiders and the New York Jets. The reason why the New York Jets, I think because the Jets are young, the Jets are one player, a quarterback away from possibly being a contender. He knows that. The defense was one of the elite defenses in the league. They have weapons offensively with Garrett Wilson and Elijah Moore. And if they bring Denzel Mims back, if they want to bring back Corey Davis, which they probably aren't, uh, they're going to, they, they have a, an offensive line that could be at full strength go, coming, coming back next year with uh, Elijah Vera Tucker and uh, maybe Makai Becton. Maybe they draft an offensive lineman in the first round at 13. Who knows? If they keep their first round draft pick. But now you're hearing that the Green Bay Packers want two first-round draft picks for Aaron Rodgers. If any team, including the New York Jets, as good as Aaron Rodgers is, and he's fantastic, he's one of the best quarterbacks still in the NFL, top four, top three, I, you can't argue it. You can't. The numbers he put up this year with no wide receivers, his best wide receiver was a rookie, Christian Watson, who, by the way, didn't break out until the second half of the season. And he was ranked, I think, 119th in the league with, when it comes to wide receiver numbers. He has not won, not even Lazar, he has not had one wide receiver that was in the top 100 in the NFL this year. Not one. And he still put up the numbers that he did. He still threw over 25, 27 touchdowns. I am not giving away two first-round draft picks for Aaron Rodgers. I would not give up that many for Aaron Rodgers. Not at all. Aaron Rodgers said on Pat McAfee's show uh, that he is open to reworking his contract with the Packers. It, what does that mean? It, does that mean he wants to be a Packer? We all know that there's a quarterback sitting on the bench that has come out and said that if Aaron Rodgers comes back, I want to be traded. Now, he, he is going on to his fifth-year option this year. Jordan Love is now going into his fifth season, his fifth option as a quarterback. They're going to give him his option because they don't want to lose him. After this year, they have to franchise him. He's not going to make much money because he hasn't played and you don't know how good he is. Why would you franchise a player that you don't know how good he is when you, you have other players that are making, could make $18, $19 million and you want to save, you want to protect? So they're not going to do that. So they have to decide, is Aaron Rodgers worth bringing back for one more year because he has one more year left on his contract and $50 million, He even though he says he, he'll reconstruct it? Or is it better to trade him and try to get as much as you possibly can for him moving forward? Now, going to the Brett Favre thing, and I, I'm, we will, we will kind of put this together tomorrow on the show because we'll get into the whole Aaron Rodgers New York Aaron Rodgers New York Jets thing because there's a lot to get into with why I think it might be a good idea or might be a bad idea for the organization. And I'm going to bring in Brett Favre and when Brett Favre was actually brought in as a free agent and how it screwed up the Jets and screwed up coaching and obviously screwed up management and then obviously brought Rex Ryan in and, and people think helped them get to two, two, AF, two, AFC, two AFC title games. But when you look at this whole situation 
And there's a lot of things to look at. The Raiders are the biggest target for him. And that has a lot to do with Adams being there. Waller under contract, still there. there. I think he has one more year left on his contract. Mm-hmm. Jacob still have to figure out, but I, I think that if Aaron Rodgers goes to the Las Vegas Raiders, I think Jacobs resigns with the Raiders. Why? Because it's going to open up the field. It's going to open up holes for him. He's going to be even more of a dominant back with Aaron Rodgers there. You see what Aaron Jones does. When Aaron Rodgers goes from Green Bay, you think he's going to be as dominant as he is right now? Not a chance. Because teams know he, they're going to run first, right. throw second. Even with Jordan Love. Mm-hmm. Even if Jordan Love is a real good quarterback, yeah. they are going to run first. Teams are going to know that. Aaron Jones' numbers are going to go down. And you're paying a guy $12 million for numbers that are going to go down to possibly 1,000 yards at best this year and maybe five touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Because teams aren't going to give you the opening chances. Dylan's not going to be as dominant as he has as a power back. If he's even there, because he he's a free agent after yes, next he year, is. too. Well, he's still there for this year. He's still there for this year. But if Jordan Love doesn't even show up to that, it's going to diminish his value, too. Because A.J. Dillon is a bruiser. If the Packers get behind in games, he's going to barely be used. And same thing with Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones, if Jordan Love doesn't produce um, from a passing game standpoint, that's going to limit his receiving, too. Because Aaron Jones is a good scrimmage back, too, in addition to being a good runner. So if he doesn't work out and he gets disgruntled, maybe he demands a trade. NFL insider Dove Kleiman tweeted he believes that the Raiders could look into trading both Hunter Renfro and Darren Waller. Now, if they do that, Aaron Rodgers will not go to the Vegas Raiders. If that happens, there's no way he goes over there. Because it's the same team he had over there in Green Bay. Actually worse. Because Green Bay had an elite defense that year. The year that they were the number one seed when they lost against San Francisco in the snow... If you remember, last year, they were the number one seed. They lost in the divisional game against the 49ers because of, you know, bad play calling. Mm-hmm. And, and special teams, by the way. It was absolutely horrendous. <laughs> yep. And everybody wanted to point fingers at Aaron Rodgers. Devontae Adams goes to the Vegas Raiders to play with his best friend, Derek Carr. And now, uh, what a coinky dick. Derek Carr becomes available this offseason, and so does Aaron Rodgers, possibly. And we don't know if he's going to become available. But I believe he's going to become available because if I was Green Bay right now, sell him while he's hot. Sell him while you can get something for him. Are they going to get two first-round draft picks for him? No. There is no way a team is going to offer. Not The Jets are a stupid organization. I will tell you that. I'm a Jet fan. They are a stupid organization. They're not dumb enough. They're not dumb enough. Joe Douglas is not dumb enough to give up two first-round draft picks for a 39-year-old quarterback. As great as he is, you don't know. He could be a hit away from being done. Brett Favre was. Brett Favre was 8-3 and three with the New York Jets on a Thursday night football game against the New England Patriots. I'll never forget it. It was a cold night. It was even snowy a little bit. He gets hit. I forget who hits him. Uh, it was a defensive tackle on the Patriots. Hits him. At the line of scrimmage, he hurts his shoulder, and he was never the same. The Jets winded up missing the playoffs, and guess who becomes the number one seed? Uh, Obviously, uh, that was the year uh, Matt Castle uh, took over for Tom Brady. He tore his ACL in 2008, and that was the year that, yes, the Jets quarterback that they decided to part ways with for Brett Favre, Chad Pennington, 
wins the division and goes on into the playoffs as the number one seed in the AFC East. So it's just the Jets' luck that the quarterback that they brought in, the elite quarterback that he brought in from the Green Bay Packers, couldn't stay healthy all season long, and the quarterback that they decided to part ways, their guy, the guy they drafted drafted from Marshall in 1997-98, they decided to part ways with him because of his shoulder, and he goes on and takes another team into the playoffs. Aaron Rodgers is not Brett Favre. Aaron Rodgers is a better quarter, a quarterback than Brett Favre was at the age of 39. He is. He's a mobile quarterback. He can still do the things as, as well or even better than he did the last two years. You saw him this year. He played with a bad finger. I think it was a bad index finger. Couldn't grab a hold of the ball. I think that, that caused a lot of problems early in the season. As the season progressively moved forward, he dealt with it, and he played He played as well as he possibly can with the injuries that he had. It shows you how tough he is, and you want a tough guy, but you cannot put yourself at risk where you set your team back. If Aaron Rodgers, just say this, and I, I have some interesting information here, but Aaron Rodgers, if the Jets decide to give up two first-round draft picks, that would be number 13 this year, and if Aaron Rodgers... If Aaron Rodgers gets the Jets into the playoffs as a wild card team or 11 win team as a three or four seed, that would be that would put the Jets at 25-26. So you'd give up the 25, 25 or 26 pick next year. Aaron Rodgers could get hurt this year, early in the season. The Jets lose him for the rest of the season. You still have Zach Wilson. You still have to deal with Zach Wilson's crap. And that's that 25-26 pick could turn out to be a lottery pick. Just think about that. You're giving up a 13th pick, which is practically almost a top 10 pick. It's not a lottery pick. In football, there's no lottery pick. It's almost a top 10 pick. Next year, if Aaron Rodgers gets hurt in the middle of the season and they lose him for the rest of the season, that pick, look, look at what Seattle did. Mm-hmm. Look what Seattle did. They traded Russell Wilson. They got the ninth pick. Seattle got the ninth pick this year. They drafted uh, Charles Cross in at number nine. He's one of the best young tackles. He was all rook on the all rookie team, all all all, all uh, what was it? All rookie team. First team all rookie. Yeah, yeah, first team all rookie. Okay. And now because the Broncos had a terrible season, which nobody thought possible, I think now the the Broncos have a chance to draft at five and mm-hmm. could get the quarterback of the future if they want in Levis. If they really want him. Yep. Or they could draft Anderson if he's sitting there. Or whoever's sitting there. Back. Or whatever they want. So they won on that trade. Because Russell Wilson, we don't know what he is anymore. And you just got two top ten picks for Russell Wilson. And you got a second pick. I think two second picks for him, too. Yep, two second round picks, a fifth round pick, and tight end Noah Font. And who had a good end, season, by the way. And defensive end Shelby Harris, who also had a good season this year. So, I mean, it's it's crazy. It's crazy. And I think the Jets need to, to be very, very careful on making a move for Aaron Rodgers. Make sure that it's a fair deal and make sure that it makes sense. I think a conditional first round draft pick for Aaron Rodgers, that means next year, whatever. Wherever the Jets end up with this, the regular season this year, I don't give up my first round. I give up my second this year and my first next year. Mm-hmm. That's where I would go. Because it protects your 13th pick this year, 
but you can add to the talent, the young talent that you have. If it's an offensive lineman or a pass rusher, you can go at that, and, and you can you could protect Aaron Rodgers, so you make sure that he's protected moving into the season. And then next year, no matter where the Jets are, 25, 26, you give it to the Green Bay Packers. And I think a second this year and a first next year makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. NFL Network, Peter Schrager, uh, says that the Jets are seriously considering Nathaniel Hackett for offensive coordinator position. If that happens, it's, it's, it's a foregone conclusion that the Jets are going to go after Aaron Rodgers. It's a foregone conclusion. Because to bring in Nathaniel Hackett, Aaron Rodgers, you look at his numbers the last two years under Nathaniel Hackett, it's some of the best numbers he's ever had as a quarterback. And it, 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 they'll run that offense, that same Green Bay, Green Bay Packer offense. And who is uh, Robert Sala's best friend? Who is it, Speedy? Robert Sala's best friend? Is Matt LaFleur. Matt LaFleur. And Matt LaFleur is the head coach of the Green Bay Packers. Joe Douglas says he wants a coordinator with experience, not one that can recreate a whole new offense. Jets would only have to shed a minimum of $3 million to cap for cap space for Rodgers in a trade who is still open to reconstructing, reconstructing his deal. On the Pat McAfee show, Rodgers was saying good things about the Jets' weapons, particularly Garrett Wilson, Brees Hall, and C.J. Usuma. So, Usama. Very specific with C.J. Usama. Mm-hmm. So, he likes Usama. Mm-hmm. A lot of people like Usama. He's a, he's a leader. Uh, he, he, went, he was a big part of the Super Bowl run last year for the Bengals. Yep. He played in the Super Bowl hurt, uh, even though he wasn't 100%. So, yeah, I don't know if the Jets bring back C.J. Usama, but if, if they bring Aaron Rodgers in, they have to. Mm-hmm. He seems like a target he likes for whatever reason. It's weird. There's no prior connections to that, that I can remember because Uzama's a younger player. He's like a he's a fifth year tight end. Like Aaron Rodgers wouldn't have played with him in college. He wouldn't have played with him in with the Packers. Like he wasn't a retread from there either. It seems kind of weird that he specifically mentioned Uzama. But yeah, he likes a lot of the Jets skill players, which is a good sign. It is a good sign. But again, it would scare you as a Jet fan when you're putting yourself in position to trade away future picks. For a guy that's 39 years old and you don't know what he is as far as health is concerned. Yes, obviously before the trade goes through, you, you gotta you gotta bring him to your, your medical and your medical end and, and test him in every kind of way. But remember, Aaron Rodgers has played hurt years, year in and year out. Every year he's hurt. Bad fingers, bad toes, bad. Uh, I, I think last year a turf toe and. And he has had knee problems over the years. He's had he's broke his clavicle a couple yep. of times. That was twenty seventeen. I mean, he's hurt his he he's hurt his shoulder before. I mean, this guy's played hurt. And uh, how many concussions that Aaron Rodgers has had over the years? So, I, I mean, he's a tough guy. But to give up two first round draft picks for a guy that to me is is at risk every single game if you don't have the right offensive lineman there to protect him where he could be knocked out. And you have Zach Wilson, which puts you in a, in a position to fail this year and, and, and set your team back for another two years. Right. And that, that, that's the value I think the Packers could have expected last year. I don't know if they're going to be able to get it this year because it's another $50 million. And these teams are not – the Jets have the money to make it work. But, again, it's, a, it's still a very risky thing because they have to also pay, pay Quinn and Williams. They're going to have to try to – restructure some of the guys. You're not going to be able to keep everybody, obviously. Corey Davis will be gone, a couple of the offensive linemen, but you have to try to restructure C.J. Mosley. That could be hard in itself if they have to take on $50 million of Aaron Rodgers. I think C.J. will do that. 
I, I, I think if CJ knows that they're getting an elite quarterback in there to help them win a Super Bowl, I, I think CJ wants to win. He's never won. Yeah. CJ Mosley's never won a Super Bowl. Never. In theory, you would hope that would be the case. But again, every player is going to be different. You don't know what they're going to be seeking. CJ Mosley might be thinking, all right, I want one more bigger contract because I played well this he year. He already said that he wants to play out his career with the New York Jets. He's already come out and said that he's reconstructed reconstructed his contract last year. Why not reconstruct it again this year? Maybe save about five, six million, shed it off. So you have to play you have to pay Quincy uh, Williams. You have to pay Quinton Williams. So right. you have to you have to pay these guys. So it, 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 to me, Aaron Rodgers is expensive, and he can reconstruct his contract. He'll sign a two-year deal. Uh, I would say, let's say, sixty million. The Jets give him sixty million dollars guaranteed, just like uh, Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins signed, I think uh, he signed a two-year, eighty million dollar contract with the Minnesota Vikings which gave him $40 million a year. Now, Aaron Rodgers would have to take a significant pay cut if the Jets want to bring, they want to sign Quinton Williams to a long-term deal and Quincy Williams and maybe add a a piece here and a piece there to fill in certain spots that can help them move forward in a new new year with with the the type of player that Aaron Rodgers is. Mm -hmm. It's just interesting to see how much they're going to be able to restructure it, too, because Aaron Rodgers, he might say he wanted to restructure it with the Packers. That doesn't mean he's going to necessarily want to restructure it for the same value if he's traded elsewhere. Do you think he has a better chance of winning with the Packers or the Jets? I would say the Jets, but I, again, I don't know what he's thinking because I don't know what kind of loyalty he still has with the organization. I, from what we're hearing in the mainstream media, it seems bad, but is it that bad internally? I don't know. That uh, That's something only Aaron Rodgers would have to tell us personally or publicly to be able to say that. But again, how big of a pay cut is going to make it work? And is it worthwhile for a team like the Jets or even the Raiders too, that have their own salary cap issues to have to manage with too. And like you were saying, their defense is so far behind there. If they trade all these wide receivers, Aaron Rodgers is going to want to go there type thing. It's going to be tough to tell if you're the Raiders too. The Jets are of a little more leeway because they are so young, young and deep in a lot of other areas. Young and deep and they're good in every single area. They're, they're special teams. They have a pretty good special teams. Uh, they they also have to bring back Greg the Lake. He's under he he only signed a one year deal with the Jets, right. so they have to bring him back. He was one of the best kickers in the league. They have to find a punter. Are they going to bring in a free agent punter? Punters are getting expensive because they're very important parts to an you know to a team. So I think they draft a punter or they bring in a a, a free agent runner for cheap. Yeah, I don't know. For maybe a million dollars. Maybe yeah. they find maybe they find something somebody in the soccer leagues overseas or something like that. We've seen teams do that, but right. um especially uh Weatherford Weatherford Steve Weatherford. Steve Weatherford was a soccer a player and uh turned into a football player. He played with the the Jets and then went to the Giants and won a couple of Super Bowls. Thank so, God. Matt Dodge was horrible. Yeah, Steve so, Weatherford saved a lot there. So I, I mean when you when you look at the the big picture here for the Jets, they're missing maybe one or two pieces, important pieces that could take them over the top. I think the offensive line needs to be reconstructed in the offseason. They have Lincoln Tomlinson, uh, Elijah Vera Tucker. Those are your two guards. Maybe you move Elijah Vera Tucker to the right tackle position. And then Max Mitchell, when he comes back, you move him to the guard position. Now you have youth over there. And you draft a center sometime in this year's draft at three or four in the third or fourth round, get yourself a, a young talented center, and then you, 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 you roll with Dwayne Brown or Makai Becton. That's what you roll with as your left tackle going into the year. And then, and then you have some players. You bring in, they have some guys on the bench that they can maneuver and, and, and that are not too expensive that they can bring. Because you need, 
You need depth on the, de- of the offensive line and yeah. defensive line. You need depth. Mm-hmm. And the Jets have some young depth, but maybe they need to add more young depth into the draft. So uh, free agency is not the way Doug- Douglas is going to look if they bring in somebody like Aaron Rodgers. I think it makes a lot of sense to bring in Derek Carr because Derek Carr is not going to be too expensive if the Jets have to trade for some trade for Derek Carr four days after the Super Bowl. They would only have to give up a fourth or a third. Yep. That would be the most. I I don't think more than more than a four. Okay, and if and if they decide if 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 Vegas can't move them because everybody knows everybody knows in their mother knows that they want to get rid of them. If they can't move them, uh, his contract becomes null and void, or uh, they waive him, and then. He could go wherever he wants. That's a dead cap hit of over $30 million as well, which the Raiders are not going to want to have to deal with when it comes to trying to either pursue Aaron Rodgers, pursue Tom Brady, because odds are that if Derek, Derek Carr is gone anyway, odds are they're going to go for one of those big fish in order to just keep their reputation up and try to not waste Devontae Adams either. And whether Josh McDaniels gets his guy in Tom Brady or whether Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams reunite again with the Raiders, it seems like one of those things seems plausible, but the Raiders have to make their own decisions to try to manage their own cap because Derek Carr is going to be very expensive if they don't trade him because... He's going to get $40 million, $30 million off the cap of dead cap, like Jeff was saying earlier with Amari Cooper. It's going to be a lot. It's, it's so interesting when you, when you think about the whole Derek Carr thing and, and, and Aaron Rodgers because I know those are the two high-profile quarterbacks that everybody here in New York is talking about. It's not Lamar Jackson because Lamar Jackson don't make any sense for the New York Jets. He doesn't. I was listening to Josh when he called me today, and he was trying to compare and contrast the three quarterbacks. The Jets – Lamar Jackson don't make any sense for the Jets. None whatsoever. Because they have to change the offense. That means, really, in the offseason, they have to shake up their their offensive line. Maybe they have to trade Lincoln Thomason because he doesn't work in that offense. He really doesn't. They need to find uh, faster offensive linemen because they need to move. It's a running game. It becomes an all-out running team. Now, does that make – having Lamar Jackson, does that open up the the, – the uh, the field for Brees Hall absolutely does. Sure. It will. It'll make Brees Hall even better. It'll make Lamar Jackson even better. But they're not a running team. That'll piss off Garrett Wilson. That'll piss off Elijah Moore because they're not going to throw the ball. And everybody says, well, he's never had great wide receivers like Elijah Moore and Garrett Wilson. Well, he doesn't have to because he runs the ball 90% of the time. That's his game. So it doesn't make sense. So Lamar Jackson, take him out. Jimmy Garoppolo, there's no interest anymore. Mike LaFleur is not there anymore. Right. So there's no interest in Jimmy Garoppolo. It's only two guys. And it's not Tom Brady either because Tom Brady is not going to the Jets. He's not. <laughs> I, don't know if, I don't know how much Jets fans would even accept that. <laughs> Tom Brady is not going to the Jets. I have a better, better chance of getting... Gino Smith get, back? <laughs> no, I have a better chance of getting uh, Tom Brady's underwear signed by him than ha- him coming and playing for the New York Jets. Okay? It's not happening. So, Jet fans, stop bringing up Tom Brady. All over social media, well, Tom Brady in a Jets jersey. He is not coming to New York. He's not. And, by the way, Tom Brady wears what number? 12. Have you heard, and I'll say this again, have you heard <laughs> anything from Joe Namath <laughs> on taking his – number out of retirement for Tom Brady. That's true. You haven't. You haven't, and you won't, because he won't do that. So, for all you Jet fans out there sitting here today and trying to think that you're trying to trying to talk the Jets into to making a move for Tom Brady, Tom Brady is either going to Miami, Oakland, or whatever, Vegas, 
are retiring. It used to, we used to think it was San Francisco, but now that San Francisco has this thing with Trey Lance and, and Brock Purdy, I, I think in the offseason they're going to have their own problems with that. I, I don't think Tom Brady in the mix or Aaron Rodgers in the mix makes any sense. So, uh, so I think the, the two quarterbacks that the Jets are going to be interested in is Derek Carr and Aaron Rodgers. They have to make a decision soon with Aaron Rodgers because after the Super Bowl, the Raiders have four days to decide what they're doing with Derek Carr. And after that, his contract is, is already, it goes right into form, and they ha- they, then they have to try to move that contract sometime at the trade deadline. I don't know. I, I don't know if they'll be able to do that. Is, is the team going to take that four-year extend? I think it's four, year, four years left on that mm-hmm. contract. Is a team going to take that? It doesn't make sense. So what I would do is I would either trade him or let him go. It will go $30 million to, to your cap, and it's going to hurt your chances of getting Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. But maybe you want to do a favor for Derek Carr and let him pick where he wants to go. I don't think that's going to happen. I, I think somebody will trade him them something. I, I think if the Jets really want Derek Carr, give him a fourth-round draft pick. You'll get him, and uh, you move on. You, you don't have to give up any more. You still have your first, your second, your third this year. And you'll have your first, your second, your third, your fourth, your fifth next year. Derek Carr makes the most sense. But knowing Woody Johnson and him wanting to make a splash, he is going to do everything he possibly can to get Aaron Rodgers. Everything. He did everything he possibly can to get Brett Favre. He did it. Mm -hmm. He decided to part ways with the quarterback that they drafted in Chad Pennington, like I said. Eric Mangini, who had a great first year. Remember that? Had a great first year. As the coach, they drafted. They had all that great draft. And what did they do? They decided, hey, you know what? We're going to bring in Brett Favre. And I, I don't know if anybody knows this. Woody Johnson went to Eric, Eric Mangini and told Eric Mangini, if the Brett Favre, I guess, try, you know, exclusive quarterback year doesn't work out for the Jets, that you will not lose your job. Hmm. We will just move on from Brett Favre. And what happened at the end of the year? The Jets wanted to keep Brett Favre, and they fired. Woody Johnson fired Eric Mangini. And then he he obviously signs with the Browns, and there she blows. Eventually, he, become, he becomes the coach of the, the Browns. A year later, they make a move, and the Jets move up with the Browns to get Mark Sanchez. Yep. How quick did that happen? <laughs> How ironic. I mean, that's what, that's what happened. Mm-hmm. And that's, and that's God. I was going to say, and that's the, the difference that these other organizations are going to have to figure <laughs> out where the owners cannot have too much ego say in this, in their organizations too. And you wonder if Woody Johnson, whether they trade for Aaron Rodgers and get the draft picks or they trade for Aaron Rodgers on a bargain that's a little more affordable, can try to le- finally level with Joe Douglas and make it where it doesn't have to feel like such a big swing. Because we saw that with the Bengals too, when the... Mike Brown was a very stubborn owner for a while and had a big ego, and the Bengals were called cheap. They were only paying their own players. They didn't want to go after free agents, and they didn't really want to change anything. All the years that the Bengals fans wanted to fire Marvin Lewis, they wouldn't change. They finally evolved. Look at where they are now. We're in a Super Bowl this year, back-to-back AFC Championship games. Same kind of thing with the Raiders. The Raiders with Mark Davis, stubborn ownership that wants their own way. They got rid of their interim coach that went to the playoffs last year. Hired Josh McDaniels. Why? Ego. Miami, same kind of thing. Good team. 
ruined by bad ownership for a while, tampering for Tom Brady. The Jets have to make sure they can find a middle ground to make it work with both Woody Johnson and Joe Douglas. Otherwise, it's going to be a bad experiment again. The Jaguars game, and we, we spoke with Mike Hollis about this. The Jaguars game was so very interesting. It really was. We, we had the chance to see two of the best young quarterbacks in the NFL, and Patrick Mahomes and Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence, again, started off really rough. And as the second half begun, he started settling in and started playing well. He really did. And the Jaguars had a chance to win in this game. Mm-hmm. After Mahomes got hurt in the second quarter, a, a lot of people, when, when obviously Henny came into the game, and, and by the way, had a touchdown and, and played very well when he did come in. And that, that has a lot to do with Chad, Chad Henning. He, he is, he's very well respected around the league. He's been in the league for like 12, 13 years. Yep. Uh, he played for multiple teams. But Henny is a very well-respected, well-rounded quarterback. And he made the plays that he needed to make. They scored a touchdown and, and helped them have the lead going into the second half. But I think they were down 17-10 to 10 going into the second half, of this, second half of the game. And you saw that Patrick Mahomes came back. They quarter-zoned his, his leg or whatever, the heck, his ankle. He came back. You could tell that he couldn't throw off that back leg. You could tell that he couldn't throw off that back leg. And I thought that was going to cost the Kansas City Chiefs because as soon as the Jaguars smell blood, they they attack it. They they did it. All. They won six games in a row going into that game. Right. Six games in a row. It's not easy. A, a Jaguars team that barely won six games last year. They didn't even win six games. They didn't win six games the last two years. Yeah, okay. They won six games in a row to get into that game against the Kansas City Chiefs. And 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 to me. They had a great game plan. Now, obviously, Patrick Mahomes getting hurt wasn't what they planned, but it definitely worked out for them. And Trevor Lawrence in the second half, he didn't have one of those you know, game-changing games. He made a mistake at the end of the game, which cost them a chance to, to maybe take the ball down the field, the interception that he threw. But Trevor Lawrence, to me, is the future. He is the future. The Jaguars, next year... Remember, everybody, he made a trade. The, the Jaguars made a trade at the trade deadline. Remember who they landed, Speedy? Calvin Ridley. Calvin Ridley, who was a number one target for the Atlanta Falcons for years, including he was practically the number one target the last two years Julio Jones was there. Mm-hmm. Calvin Ridley obviously was suspended this year for betting on football. He was. He also got, I think he was suspended for steroids abuse. Oh, no, drug. Drug yep. abuse. I think it was marijuana. Yep. Calvin Ridley comes back next year. Christian Kirk. You bring back, I don't know, you bring back uh, Pod Hands. <laughs> Evan I- Ingram. You bring him back next year. This is, this is going to be an explosive team next year. Doug Peterson has it right. This team is going to be a, a, a force to be reckoned with. To me, Tennessee's done. Their reign over there in the division is done. The Colts, they need to look for a quarterback. If they bring in a rookie quarterback, how long is it going to take to, that that quarterback to develop? They have Taylor there. They have weapons there. It doesn't matter. They might not have Taylor there for long. He'll be a free agent after next year. After next, but he's still there. They're going to re-sign Taylor. But to me, they're, they're, they're the team to beat in that division moving forward. A very weak division. And we know what the Texans are. <laughs> 
yeah, the Texans are the team that nobody wants to coach and nobody wants to play for, so they're going to be in tough rut for a while until they make changes with their ownership. Travis Kelsey had a fantastic game with a career high, 14 catches, tied third, uh, third most among active players in a single game. Keenan Allen and Michael Thomas are tied for the record with 16, and Brandon Marshall has the all-time record with 21. Chad Henney led a 98-yard touchdown drive with Mahomes hurt, the longest touchdown drive in postseason history for breaking a record set by the Saints in 2019 who had 92-yard drive against the Eagles. So backup quarterback in Chad Henney breaking an NFL record. Chris Jones with six total pressures. But did not have a sack. Jones does not have a sack in his in 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 his, in his playoff history. I'm sorry. So Chris Jones has not one sack in playoff history. I'm surprised at that. That was that stunned me when I saw that. Trevor Lawrence, five point six yards per pass, was his second lowest total of the season. Only the Broncos' loss in London at four point two nine per pass. So if you look at the numbers, they don't stand out. But when he needed to make a play, he made it. And that's all you need. We have seen quarterbacks, great quarterbacks. Russell Wilson, when they won the Super Bowl, when they beat the Broncos, did Russell Wilson have a good game? He didn't need to. He didn't need to. The defense helped. And the special teams. And the running game. Marshawn Lynch. So you don't really need the quarterback to do the great thing. Tom Brady, how many great Super Bowls has he had? Out of the seven that he's won. Probably, uh, of the seven he's won, probably half, yeah. Three. He's, he's had three really good Super Bowls. Especially the one against the Eagles. Yeah. Which, which he lost. Um, the, the first one, time against the Eagles, the he played well, Atlanta too. The one against Atlanta was his best. Was his best. That, that was definitely his best. The one against Seattle, he played well, too. But yeah, it's probably, when you judge it, four out of the seven that, the, that he's won. Because even the Buccaneers one was more the defense, too. And both Rams won definitely more the defense. And obviously Spygate. Patrick Mahomes diagnosed with a high ankle sprain. High ankle sprain take three, high ankle sprains take three to four weeks to recover. Three weeks from the Super Bowl if, Chief, if the Chiefs are able to advance. So he'll have at least three weeks of, you know, recuperation. And usually, I, I would say a, a high... High top athlete like like somebody like Patrick Mahomes, it'll take him two weeks to heal. He's young. He's got his youth behind him. How old is Patrick Mahomes? 27 years old. Mm. He's a kid. So I, he'll, he'll be able to heal quick. Uh, Tony Romo says he's worried about Mahomes' athleticism uh, being limited by ankle injury because be, being that the Bengals will try to keep him in the pocket. So the Bengals did that against Josh Allen. That was the strength in this game. That's why the Bengals were able to keep Josh Allen one-dimensional. They closed up the gaps. They made sure they were coming off the edges to keep Allen in the pocket. And when Allen sits in the pocket, he's not at his best. When Allen, Just like Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes is at his best moving outside of the pocket. Josh Allen is best when he's outside of the pocket. There are Jamal, uh, Lamar Jackson is is at his best when he's outside of the pocket. And then there are quarterbacks like Joe Burrow. He's the best when he's in the pocket. Right. Uh, Justin Herbert, even though he's a mobile quarterback, he's the best when he's in the pocket. There are, there are quarterbacks still that are mobile quarterbacks that are still great in the pocket. Joe Burrow is a good mobile quarterback. Right. He's not bad. He made some great plays, especially with his legs. Even against Buffalo, he ran the ball in certain aspects of the game. So Patrick Mahomes, his ankle, that's a 
that, that's that's bad going into this game because he becomes one-dimensional. If he becomes one-dimensional and the Bengals know that, what are the Bengals going to do? They're going to obviously attack that one-dimensional side of the ball where you know they're going to depend a lot more on Patrick Mahomes to make the play in the open field. And that's going to force Andy Reid to have to change a lot too where they're going to have to make it where these receivers can get more yards after the catch because Patrick Mahomes... Well, his arm strength isn't going to be limited from the pocket. It's still going to be limited throwing on the run, too, especially on that left side, too, which is the, I guess, the uncomfortable side for a right-handed quarterback rolling out to his left. And that's going to rely on guys like Kadarius Tony. You're going to have to make more yards after the catch. Valis Scantling, normally known as a deep threat, is going to probably have to be more of a short route type guy. And these running backs, they're going to have to get these running backs involved from a pass-catching perspective. Watch out for somebody like Jarek McKinnon, who played well against the, uh, against the Bengals last year to be that type of guy. Andy Reid's going to have to get very creative with that. Now, he has a week to prepare. Mahomes is obviously going to play, but he's going to have to have a game plan for that. So, Andy Reid, you were considered one of the best offense of coaches in NFL history, this is going to be a, quite a challenge for you. I think the advantage goes to Kansas City in this game, being that they're at home and they're in front of their crowd. It's going to be very, very loud. It's one of the loudest stadiums in all of football. Yep. But Travis Kelsey is going to play a big part in this game. He is going to play another big part. Travis Kelsey did everything in that game against the Jaguars. He was blocking. He was catching the ball. When they need they needed a catch, they needed to depend on somebody. It was Travis Kelsey. And and it used to be Tyreek Hill, but it, it it's now become Travis Kelsey. He's become the blanket and the number one target. Now I think they need to spread out the offense more in this game. They cannot do what they did against the Jaguars against this Bengals team. The Bengals defense in the last couple of weeks have played better. Their secondary with Eli Apple and some of the weapons that they have over there uh, have played better. Bates is one of the best safeties in football. So they have a tremendous defensive side of the ball. Now, going into this game, there's, there's a lot of strengths in this game that I saw that I saw from Kansas City. First of all, they have the better coach. We, we all know that. Andy Reid is one of the greatest offensive minds the NFL has ever seen. This is a guy that has won a Super Bowl before. This is a guy who's been in multiple Super Bowls before. He understands what it takes to get there. How many back-to-back AFC title games has this guy been to? Mm-hmm. And like seven in the NFC with the Eagles. I mean, this guy has been in AFC, NFC title games his whole career. This guy has been a winner everywhere he's gone. So... I trust Andy Reid over, obviously, our boy Zach. All right? Here's another thing. When I look at the, the, the intangibles of the Kansas City Chiefs, and I mean by the offensive line to the Bengals' offensive line, I still don't trust the Bengals' offensive line. They had a, a tremendous game against a tremendous defense. It was in the snow. It was in the snow. Kansas City, it's not snowing this week. It's actually going to be in the 40s this week. So it's not going to be too cold. It's not going to be wet. It's supposed to be dry. So they're, they're, Joe Mixon, who has not had a breakout year, hasn't done well this year. He hasn't had one of those seasons that we expected. Piran had a very good year, but he's been back and forth with injury. They're going to have to depend on using and throwing in the air. Now, Kansas City secondary, it's obviously it doesn't have the secondary they had with Berry. And uh, uh, the Honey Badger. Brandon Flowers. And yeah, Brandon Flowers. Yeah. He didn't, they don't have that kind of secondary. But they have a front seven in Jones and some of the weapons that they have in Clark that could get at you. And they're going to put pressure. We all know what they like to do and what they're strong at. And they like to use different blitz packages. 
like they did in two thousand, like the Giants did in two thousand seven. Yep. As we know who the defensive coordinator is, Agnolo. So we know what they like to do and how they define their defense. So I think going into this game, I think they'll have a good game plan. This is going to be very important. They got, they have to run the ball, and they have to be superior running the ball this this week against this Bengals defense. Mm-hmm. They have to run this ball because they got to take pressure. And they have to take pressure off of Patrick Mahomes where he's not doing more in the open field with his legs and just using his arm. Right. Because they're gonna get his they're gonna get his body strong enough where he could plan his foot and he could throw the ball. Yep. The other thing that's interesting too is I think the way that they could overload guys on the one side of the field. Because we even saw the Bills throughout the third quarter when they were moving the ball well. It was when they had three or four receivers on the same side of the formation, and Josh Allen was able to get out quickly. I think the Chiefs have to use a lot of those concepts, too, because Mike Hilton, for the Bengals, one of the better slot corners in the league, and if they can decoy away from him with either a tight end or a running back that's a little bigger and go for power, they can win a little more, because the Bengals, they've had their issues at certain points in the year with tight ends. Now, they had, did do well against Kelsey. They were limiting to short catches in the first meeting. They limited him to short catches in the AFC Championship game last year, but still, it's a tough matchup going against Kelsey, who's very good in the slot as it is, and versatile all over the place. So if they can get other guys with him so they don't just either bracket Kelsey or double-team Kelsey, that could help Mahomes out a lot too, especially on the right side of the formation. Because Eli Apple, has, I, I, it pains me to admit, he's played well this year, but he's a low-end number one corner. And that second corner spot is a little iffy on that right side. They have a rookie in Cam Taylor-Britt right now, but he's not great. So if they can attack that area and maybe – Oh, it'll open up man-to-man on the other side of the field. That'll help Mahomes out a lot. It's so interesting when, when we, we try to compare and contrast the quarterbacks that are still in the playoffs right now. You have, you have a rookie quarterback in Brock Purdy right now going against Jalen Hurts, who this is his first real big playoff run he's ever yep. had. So th- these are two rookie quarterbacks playing in the first NFC title game, and they both played against each other before in college. Yep. And, and obviously, if you remember that game, Purdy outplayed Jalen Hurts in that game. I remember that game. Iowa State went for the win, went for two, and they missed. Yes. Purdy outplayed Jalen Hurts in that game. Mm -hmm. He did. Yep. Against Oklahoma. Iowa State against Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. And so these guys know each other very, very well. They know each other very, very well. Now, obviously, they're playing. It's college. It's it's the NFL in college, so it's different. But who do we have? It's also Big 12 defenses. Jeff is back. Jeff, what's up, man? I mean, I think that you guys are forgetting the biggest factor in both of these games. Players decide a lot of this, but you're forgetting it's the Wesleyan. We well, yes, if you're the L.A. Rams, they do. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the obvious one. And I and so I heard you talking about the Jets earlier and what they need and what they don't need. Yeah. Who do you? They have the room uh, under the salary cap. Do you think they pay the sixty million and pay Rogers to bring them in? He already said he would reconstruct his contract. Now, I don't know if he'll do it with the Jets, but he said he'll do it with Green Bay uh, if the Jets have to give up picks. And, I, and I've, I've read, you know, uh, there are quite a few people, including Peter King, that said that uh, they're asking for two first-round draft picks. Peter King never said that they were definitely getting two first-round draft picks. So I believe, uh, I believe that they'll have to give up a conditional first-round draft pick and maybe a second. I would say a second this year and a first-round next year. Are they going to have to pay him $50 million? I think he'll reconstruct it where the Jets can give him $35 million a year, sign him two years, give him 
$70 million guaranteed, and they can move on with this. And if Aaron wants to play as a New York Jet, I don't know if he does. A lot of people believe he wants believes that he wants to go back to Green Bay if he comes back. So there's no guarantees to this. All right, the Jets need a quarterback. Yes. You're the resident Jets fan. Yeah. Jerry Jones calls you and says, we'll give you Dak. Do you take him? No. Why not? I like Dak Prescott, but we, we know what he could do in the playoffs. Um, I, I want a guy that, even though Derek Carr has really not been in the playoffs a lot, um, I think Derek Carr would fit very, very well with this team. I think he has an understanding. So Derek Carr is now is better than Dak now. Oh, yeah. I think Derek Carr is absolutely better than Dak Prescott. 100%. Wow. 100%. Okay. I do. I think Derek Carr is 100% better than Dak Prescott. I think Derek Carr makes a lot of sense for the New York Jets. It does because they only, they would only have to – what I've read, they would only have to give up a third or a fourth. So you don't have to give up much for them. You're taking over a four-year contract, $30 million a year, which is an affordable contract for the Jets. They could still Quinn, give Quinn Williams uh, the $21 million that he wants and, and, and give him his contract. They could still, they could still bring in Quin, pay Quincy Williams and maybe bring in a free agent. It makes a lot of sense to go with Derek Carr over Aaron Rodgers. Now, Aaron Rodgers is the superstar player. He's still an elite player. You bring him in, uh, you're already, you know, Vegas will put the Jets as a top three, top four uh, team right now in the NFL that is going to be a Super Bowl contender. No doubt if they bring in Aaron Rodgers, that will make him a contender. But the question is, is Aaron Rodgers going to be 100% healthy all season long? If you look at the last four seasons... Aaron Rodgers has had nagging injuries every single year. He's played with them, but nagging injuries. You cannot trust that your backup quarterback in Zach Wilson is sitting on the bench, and if, if Aaron Rodgers gets hurt in Game 5 or Game 6, and he's out for a significant amount of time, and the Jets lose five or six games in a row, and they miss the playoffs, you're losing another lottery. You're going to lose a lottery pick that you're giving up, a conditional pick that you're giving up the next year in the first round. It doesn't make I mean, sense. Would you would you even trade for Derek Carr when you can get him for free rather than giving up draft picks? What you got to do is wait till what, a week after the Super Bowl? Four days. Well, that's when they have to trade Derek Carr, but then the free agency period won't open up for another month, so there's going to be some kind of competition yes. there. So maybe the Jets would just say, all right, I'll, de- I'll give you a fourth-round or fifth-round pick, depending on when the deadline is, and just seal him from there. And that's what I think the right, but if, right, but if you trade for him and take that contract on, you're, you're getting Derek Carr for $43 million a year. No. Right, and do you do you want to risk that rather than uh, force the Raiders to cut him, and then you renegotiate you negotiate a brand new contract for him where you don't have to pay that money? Yes, and I understand what you're saying, and and maybe that's the route that Jeff the Jets want to go, but they have to make sure that Derek Carr is not going to be traded because then they then they 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 put their eggs in one basket, and Aaron Rodgers. And if Aaron Rodgers doesn't want to be a Jet, or Aaron Rodgers wants to go back to Green Bay, then they lose on lose out on Aaron Rodgers and Derek Carr. So that doesn't make sense. So Ben says, uh, did Rodgers already redo his contract a season or two ago to go all in? Didn't work with him. Need to move on from Aaron. Well, you're not going to get two first-round picks, most likely, Ben. So good luck with that. Yeah, no, he's probably not. But, I mean... I mean, he's a proven. I don't like giving up anything for Aaron Rodgers because he could quit at any moment. He cost too much money. I mean, I think next year doesn't he count for like sixty million dollars against someone's the cap? Dead, next the year? dead cap, yeah, would be is over sixty million. I think it's sixty-two. 
Yeah, but he. I would, mean, that's absurd. Yeah, but that's why he's going to reconstruct his contract. He already said that if if he goes back to Green Bay, he will reconstruct his contract, and he ready. And I believe that if the Jets trade for him, he'll absolutely reconstruct his contract because there's no way the Jets can bring back Quinn and Williams if they don't. There's no way. I mean. I mean, the Jets are in a bad spot, though, because there's not many quarterbacks out there that you'd really want to have, right? Like, who's going to be available? Like, if we're being realistic, Lamar Jackson is not available. They can franchise tag him, and that is what it is. They're not getting right? him. He's, right. They, I mean, he's not going to be available. Everyone says it's a free agent, but they'll probably franchise, right? Uh, Rodgers, who knows what the Rodgers situation is. Derek Carr is available. But if Derek Carr is the only one with so many teams needing quarterback, can the Jets win a bidding war? And would you even want to win a bidding war and overpay for a guy that may not be very good? I think Douglas will have his limit, though. I don't think he'll go too much further. No, I that. don't think so either. And Douglas will have a limit right, on but, what he's right. going to trade, too. Right. What he's right, going but, to give up. Right but, for, right, but for the Jets, it's Derek Carr or Zach Wilson again. Like, Because if you miss on Carr, who else is out there? Th- that's that, and that, Then you might have to settle with guys like Jimmy Garoppolo or somebody like that. So... I don't know if the Jets are going to want to do that. So, they, would, you, would you take Ryan Tannehill? No. No. I don't think the Jets are, are interested in Ryan Tannehill anyways. So. Uh, ben says uh, reconstruction, uh, Rodgers reconstructed the contract a season or two ago to bring in more weapons. It didn't help. Doubt he'll do it again. Well, he already said that he will. He was on, he was on the Pat McAfee show, and he said that he would. So if He, he said a lot of things, and it was all so vague because he said everything all at once. He said... Uh, I'm, I'd like to stay and finish my career here, but I'd also uh, wouldn't mind seeing if there's a team out there that I could go to. And I, you know, like he said everything, dude. What a horrible interview that was. Yeah, and I, Pat McAfee and him are very close, so he's he's only going to speak to Pat McAfee because <clears throat> Pat will let him say what he wants and not attack him. You know, if he goes on another show, uh, people are going to eat him up alive because they know that he he's an interesting you know, character, and he has his own opinion towards everything. I mean, everything that's come out in his mouth over the last couple of weeks, especially last couple of months, uh, are a little crazy. So, It's I, the ayahuasca, bro. Don't blame him. I, whatever it is. He's, he's a little out there, and he has, he has an interesting personality. But he's a fantastic quarterback. He's a fantastic talent. And whoever gets him next year is going to have a gem. If the Jets get him, yeah, I would say the Jets are a top four favorite to winning a Super Bowl. There's, you can't even question. Oh it. come on, yeah, I'm dude! I'm serious. Hundred percent, hundred percent. You put Aaron Rodgers behind center right next year with the team that the Jets are going to have next year coming back. As long as Quentin Williams comes back, yeah. Right, but but here's the problem. We see this all the time with a ton of teams. Mm-hmm. Unless you're adding to your team, you're moving backwards because other teams are going to improve too. You don't think they're right? adding? You don't think they're adding to their team with Aaron Rodgers? Well, I, it certainly would make them a playoff team, but top four Super Bowl contenders? Come on, bro. Let's let's just bring I think it you back said down the AFC, to Earth, not the whole in league. the AFC. Yeah, in the AFC. Right, right. But you'd you'd at least have the three teams that are there now, right? You'd you'd at least have uh, Cincinnati, uh, Kansas City, Buffalo ahead of them. I don't know. I, I don't know if I have Cincinnati ahead of them. I don't. I, I know I, I love what Cincinnati is doing right now. I, I love that they shocked everybody and they beat Buffalo. It was fantastic to watch. Fantastic. It really was. 
I don't know what Cincinnati is. Are they what they were last year? Going into what, what are you talking about? You don't know what they are. They were in the Super Bowl last year. They're, they're in the be, AFC Championship going this to, year, and they're going to be in the Super Bowl this year. I guarantee you, they knock off Kansas City. Because right. Mahomes so if you not, make if you right, make it to hold, back to back Super Bowls and you lose, you can't go. I don't know what and, they are, and they lose back. To, they're they're another Buffalo Bills. They're a team that goes to back to back. No, let's not go there either. Buffalo did it four times. I know. I'm telling you right now, they match against the Eagles because I'm telling you, San Francisco is not beating the Eagles this week. They're not. They're not beating the Eagles this week. Well, we'll see. I, we'll okay. see. I, I, maybe we'll have a friendly well, look, bet. Look, we'll I, I don't yeah, – yeah, I mean, well, how did our picks turn out last week? I don't know. What, what did the picks turn out? Well, let's see. Uh, you I picked. Was two. Yeah, you. I was two and two. Yeah, because you picked you picked the Bills and the Cowboys. Mm-hmm. So I think you. Yeah, were you were two and two. I was two and two. Uh, Jeff, you had. Yeah, you, you, so you and I were both three I and one. The, Jeff, you you and I were both, both three, three and one. Yeah. Oh, so we're we're in first and now we're still in last. Yeah, because we, we, we our only difference was the Niners and the Cowboys. Dude, so you, he's two games back of us now. Yeah. Good. Congratulations. It, it doesn't matter to me. This isn't a competition. As much as I wanted to pick the Giants, I just couldn't. I this think I didn't. No one could. No yeah. one could. This isn't a competition. <laughs> the fact is, is that I, I, I believe the Eagles are absolutely going to outmatch uh, the 49ers. I, being that they're home, it's not going to be in San Francisco. Uh, I think that you're underestimating the 49ers' defense. No, I, I think you underestimate the Eagles' defense. No, I'm not. I think the no. I'm no. I'm not because they have Jordan Davis, and I've been championing <laughs> that the whole time. Of course, I, I told you. I told you before. I wanted the Patriots to get Jordan Davis. I was dying for you. We did not draft. I was like, please let Jordan Davis get. This. We'll get into Turns the out, game. We'll Jordan Davis the, is a stud. We'll get into the game tomorrow because we have to go, Jeff, and we have a lot to to, to talk about tomorrow. It's a big show tomorrow. Speedy, Speedy, who do we have on tomorrow? Returning to the show at nine thirty is our friend Antoine Harris, former Falcons, Eagles, and Titans safety and the president of a sneakerhead university at 9 30 and at 10 o'clock we were supposed to have him on last week had a family emergency uh former jags and cowboys defensive end jeremy mincy who also has a production company that's right i'm looking forward to that you guys always do this right you guys always get like a football player that's doing something can you guys please for the love of god try to get ed hockley or some former referee i want to hear what their beef is with the cowboys and why they only call penalties on dallas and not against other teams <laughs> go reach out to ed, ed hockley all right i, I can definitely make can, that work. can we get a beef debate with ed hockley oh god i don't know i don't know if ed hockley's gonna want that i don't i would love to watch a a a like 20 year referee veteran and lawyer uh, have a debate with um, a guy with a secret coleslaw recipe. <laughs> I All don't right. think Ed is going to want that. Jeff. All right, Jeff. Thank you. <laughs> what? You wouldn't want to see that debate? I don't know if he would want you, to, Jeff. No, no, I don't want to see that debate. I think that that would be an exciting debate. I'm sure you do. Thank you, Jeff. You, it's the Wefflewees. Jeff from Tampa, everybody, for a second time. Don't we love him? <laughs> yeah, let's just end with that. It's the referees. <laughs> uh, well, it wasn't the re- referee's fault on Sunday. That's for sure. Uh, it was just a lot of bad play calling by Mike McCarthy in the fourth quarter. And, and the Cowboys had a chance to win the game. They did. They had a chance to come back in the game. They had plenty of chances, just bad play calling. And, and honestly, I don't blame... I really don't blame Dak Prescott for everything. I know a lot of people want to point fingers at him. They only have really one weapon, one good weapon, 
in C.D. Lamb. Pollard was a good one. They lost him in the second quarter. As soon as Pollard went out, I knew the game was over. If I were a betting man and I bet on the Cowboys to win that game, if I was a betting game and I, I had to rebet after Pollard got out, I'm betting that the San Francisco 49ers were going to win. I knew after the second quarter there was no way they were going to come back when they have one weapon on the field. They already know that Pollard was going to touch the ball 90% of the time, and they already knew mm-hmm. that CeeDee Lamb was their number one target. Yeah, and Pollard was the best as well to counter the pressure. Now, game planning wise, the pressure didn't affect them because Dallas' offensive line played well, but still. Zeke hasn't looked good for weeks. No. Zeke is a fullback, playing, uh, playing, or getting paid like a running back at this he point. He hasn't looked good for weeks. Yeah. So, I, I mean. It's a shame, but it wasn't all Dak Prescott's fault. It was the play calling. It was coaching. It was everything. Dak didn't look good. He did not play well. And that interception in the first quarter was horrible. But it wasn't all his fault. And I think everybody needs to stop burning his jerseys, throwing, throwing, breaking teefies. It's ridiculous. They just want to get viral. Uh, whatever it is. <laughs> I feel bad for Dak. I do. Uh, going into the offseason, Dak's got a lot to prove, man. Mm-hmm. This is his last year. Where they can obviously, uh, you know, drop him in the offseason after next year. Right. Uh, they he needs to show up. He needs to get this team in an NFC title game. If if he can get him in the NFC title game, Super Bowl. I I mean, they'll renegotiate his deal, and he'll 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 be a Cowboy for life. If not, he's going to be looking for a backup job because he'll never start in the NFL again. I don't think any team will give him a starting job if he can't win in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Tony Romo was the only guy that had opportunities because the Cowboy fans loved him. The, the Cowboy fans love The guy was a horrible playoff player. Horrible. Yep. And I don't remember the last time the Cowboys had a good quarterback that was good in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. I don't even remember. Yeah, has to go back to Aikman, probably. It's, they, they haven't had one since Troy Aikman. That was yeah. in the 90s. Yep. You're talking about almost 30 years ago. So, and I, I could say the same for the Jets. There's, there's a reason the Cowboys have not made a conference championship game in the 21st century. I, but it's not, it's not Dak Prescott. It's not all, it's not all, it's not all the quarterback. There's always some other issue, whether it's coaching, whether it's defense. The, the Cowboys are not consistently good all at once with everything. And as a result, they're one of the only three teams that have never made an NFC championship game. The other two being dysfunctional messes of the Washington, whatever they call themselves, and the Lions. And in the AFC, there's not many teams either that haven't made a single one. I think it's only the Browns and the Texans and I think Miami are the only ones in the AFC. And the Cowboys are supposed to be this highly touted, rich organization that always has high expectations. We haven't seen them in a conference championship game in the 21st century. It's crazy. It's crazy. But uh, we'll have a great show lined up for you guys tomorrow. Stay tuned. Um, Rob Carpenter, I don't know what happened to him. We'll try to get him on again. It's, it's I'm going to try to get him on a Thursday. Maybe a Wednesday is just harder for him. I don't he's, know. He's busy. Yeah, he's, he's a busy, busy guy. He's busy, busy I guy. think he's too busy for us. So yeah, I don't know. But shout out to Rob. We understand that he's a busy guy, ex-NFL player. But like to thank, obviously, our guest, Mike Collis, for joining us. Uh, Pro Form Kicking Academy. He's fantastic. He's been on the show a couple of time, mm-hmm. times. He's fantastic. He knows his stuff. So thank you to Mike. Thank you to all the fans that tune in to us. Every single, every single week, all our shows throughout the country. Thank you. Listen to our show tomorrow. We will be live at 9 p.m. Until then, this is Errol Mark, Speedy PD, and our show, the Sports Loudmouth, saying goodnight. And we'll talk to you then. Good night. It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.